my friend says caffeine's a drug. I said, oh, tell your friend, fuck you. I want to be a buddy with Just a little breakfast. Hello. Hello, hello. Welcome to Breakfast Punks, a podcast about weird shit, DIY punk and trashy movies, brought to you by Sham City Roasters and Deadbeat Donuts. From Hastings, I'm Dave. And I'm Siobhan. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about the John Ronson TV series, The Secret Rulers of the World. And we're going to be doing our very best to try and describe (laughs) to you uh, a film called Fateful Findings. From 2013, directed by Neil Breen. Who you're soon to fall absolutely in love with. Or not. Or not. Who knows? Probably not. On this week's episode, we are eating some vegan treats and self-plug galore. They're my (laughs) vegan treats. (laughs) They're Debbie Donuts Donuts. Um, If you haven't already looked me up. Oh, that sounds awful. That sounds awful. If you haven't already looked up Debbie Donuts, then please do. It's my vegan donut company. Company? Gosh, that sounds... Business is probably a better word. Business. Um, Here in Hastings. (laughs) I'm the CEO of Debbie Donuts. Um, Yeah, look it up. I do vegan donuts down here in Hastings. You already know where we are. you are a CEO, you know. I think we're both CEOs. I don't feel like a CEO. (laughs) I'm in my (laughs) pyjamas. So yeah, look us up. We've got an Instagram page, Facebook, and there's a little shop. We do some merch. And yeah, if you're ever in Hastings, please let me know. I'll be happy to make you some donuts. We had some lovely bright pink ones with, Yay. with uh, sprinkles. Oh, well, I love a bright pink and a sprinkle. It was delicious. It's probably the only reason I ever made these things, just <laughs> to make a sprinkly, beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and talking about sprinkly, beautiful things, uh, the coffee that we had uh, with the donuts is by Black Coffee Worship, who are some sort of a death metal uh, coffee brand. It's like Satanist looking. <laughs> it's got loads of like occult symbols all over it. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, Black Coffee Worship are based in Liverpool. Uh, it's a new company. They just opened this year. Uh, we had the 666 blend, which is a very dark roast. Um, very nice. It went so well with the donuts. It was a bit weird drinking black metal coffee with bright pink sprinkly donuts. But I'll tell you what. Yeah. They, they really made each other pop. There you go, made each other pop. <laughs> Lots of popping. Beautiful. So, let's start with a song before we get carried away with all our chat. The first song is from a band called Desbord. I may have said that wrong because they Debord, are from... Debord? Debord? Well, no, Debord sounds like Debarge. <laughs> and then we're like going down a... The rhythm of the night. We can always and, do yeah. it on the rhythm of the night. <laughs> I don't think they'll be appreciative of that. So anyway, the song is called Sin Caminos. They're a band from Buenos Aires in Argentina. They contacted us via our uh, podcast page on Instagram, mm-hmm. and I'm really glad they did because this song is banging. It's fucking brilliant. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. um, so this song is from Single 2021, which is their release that's available on Bandcamp. There's two songs on that. We really struggled to pick which one, yeah. so They're we've just plumped. Yeah, basically. we've plumped for the first one that we heard out of the two, but. They're both amazing, so definitely listen to this, enjoy it, and then go listen to the other song as well. So this is Desbord with Sin Caminos. Todos los días 
kick off with my first bit of news and again it's a little bit of a self-plug because I want to talk about uh, all the stuff that Toxic Watsit's got going on at the moment. I feel like I say this most weeks but I'm going to explain what Toxic Watsit is again. Uh, We're a a collective down here in Hastings that put on gigs or did put on gigs before lockdown and And will do again. planning on putting on gigs again Um, and uh, record label and distro. Uh, We've got a couple of gigs that are booked which are really exciting. I think one of which I might have mentioned already but I'm just going to keep going. Um, so, on, but the the new one that uh, you definitely need to know about is that on the twentieth of August we've got Snuff coming back to Hastings, whoop, whoop. which is going to be fucking amazing. Snuff played the last Toxic What's It gig that we did before lockdown. <gasps> yeah, like May nineteenth. I yeah, weirdly do remember the date. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, not May. Sorry, March. Oh yeah, it May. Would have been May. Have been wow, illegal. no, we did not. We did not put no. on the legal gig in May nineteenth. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not John Joseph. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, and uh, Snuff are going to be supported by Bobby Funk, who Yay! are a fucking amazing band uh, from yeah. the southwest. Yeah, yeah, they like. I mean, cats. they've done plenty of other. Actually, all songs. these bands like cats. Aww. Bobby Funk, Haste, some old band called Haste. I don't know, uh... some old men. I think they shout. Uh... And uh, Butane Regulators. <laughs> so that's going to be fucking amazing. I can't um, wait. And then on the twenty sixth of November, this one I think I have mentioned. We've got Incisions coming down, and that's again with this band Haste, and also Bruise Control, and at least one, if not two, more. Who I think are actually confirmed, but they just don't want us to tell anyone. Who's the other one? It's you, isn't it? Oh, well, there's something else. Oh, no, I only meant you. I don't know oh. the other one. And don't say me. All right, cool. <laughs> um, so as well as those gigs, we've got some new releases out. Again, I think I mentioned this one already, but we're at the moment we're still doing pre-orders on the Jodie Faster discography record, which is going to be absolutely fucking brilliant. That's and, so good. And uh, we're also doing pre-orders on a band who we played on this podcast maybe three episodes ago, maybe four episodes ago, a French band called Et On Tuer, Tout Les I feel like they were in one of our first uh, few episodes. It was early. Yeah, early. Um, the album's going to be called Mange Témor. I don't know if I said any of that right. But I, I think Monge is how you say Monge. Um, but that's a fucking brilliant album. Uh, if you didn't check out our episode with the Mon, go back and check that out because uh, the song that we played on there is a is a, an absolute stone cold banger. Um, Ooh, stone cold banger. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying good. to get you know it's my DJ. To, I was about to say to, I only know Tony Blackburn. I can't call you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tone. I can't think of any others. There was oh, a well, guy can... that used to do. Who was the guy that used to do the rock show on Radio One? And he and he was like. Hello. Yeah. Saying, uh, I don't know. I, I call him. He was on Brass Eye. He was on an episode of Brass oh, Eye yeah. telling telling people not to go to prison. Oh Christ! You I don't fucking know. idiot. Yeah. Guys. That guy. I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, you sound like Danny Dyer, so yeah, I don't think it's that. <laughs> um, uh, we've also obviously got What's It Cool Fest coming up. Uh, What's It Cool Fest is sold out, um, but there are, I think, still a few Friday tickets left. So if anybody wants to come on the Friday, Friday's good. Um, Friday's Who... fucking great. It's like, is it the restarts? Uh, restarts yeah. Some band called Haste. Oh again. my god. <laughs> Um, but the other thing that I wanted to say about what's a cool fest, which I definitely haven't said anything about, is that we have. If you even if you've got a ticket, or if you haven't got a ticket, go check out toxicwhatsit.co.uk because we've got some amazing shirts. We do a shirt every year for for what's a cool fest, and this one's by Zoe Barrow from Casual Nausea, and it's, it's such a so lovely nice. shirt. And I don't know how much we've shouted about it, but you should definitely buy one because they're brilliant. It is a beaut. Um, so yeah, you can pre-order that. I think the way that we normally do it is you can pre-order it, and then they, we actually release them at the festival, so we can either give them to you there or. Yeah, and is it pre-order only? I don't know if there's going to be... Is there any others? I think it depends. We normally get a few extra. Uh, But but don't don't guarantee it. 
guarantee it yeah. if you want one. For pre-order. the sake of this, pre-order only, run, be quick, we're almost sold out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's all the methods. <laughs> Lovely. Cool, well, my first uh, story is just as cool as a DIY punk collective, <laughs> distro and promotions team because I want to discuss Eurovision. That was very which similar. Entirely similar. Eurovision happened. Um, it was a big deal because it was the biggest um, post-pandemic... Well, we're still in it, aren't we? But it's the biggest event that's been run globally since the pandemic started. Is it though? Isn't that it, Fat Boy Slim gig? N- no, I think there was more people, or there was. This is at least being credited as the biggest one. Yeah. I don't know how many people were actually in the audience because this was televised. So this the other one was like a bit of a quiet. Yeah, Fat Boy Slim did a gig. No yeah. one really knew about it till afterwards. This is Eurovision. Everyone around the world watched. Thousands of people crammed in a stadium. It was very weird. Because it because there wasn't that many people at the front, but then everyone was at the back, and they were well, all, they weren't socially distanced. Where at they all. would normally have people at the front was actually the green room, which they don't normally have ah. all the people at the front. It was all the bands and all of the artists yeah, that had right. played were at the front instead of an audience. So that everybody was in the same room, so that if anyone had coronavirus, it made sure that everyone got it. Yeah, maybe. It seems a bit odd. <laughs> I just feel like dividing those two up would have made more sense. Who knows? Who knows? But um, in short. I enjoyed it. I think Dave lost the will to live and he is a Eurovision mega fan, so well, it was a bit sad for that. No, but got, I really enjoyed it. I've got a story to tell about that. I think. Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, I used to absolutely fucking love Eurovision and Eurovision always happens almost on my birthday. It, for, for many years, I'm pretty sure it was always the, it was week the weekend of my birthday of, yeah. and often it landed on the same day. And so I always used to have Eurovision song contest parties, which were pretty legendary. By the way, happy birthday, David, for last week oh, or week before, yeah. whenever we're at now. Sorry, just keep saying your birthday. (laughs) No, no, I was just talking about Eurovision. I know. Um, The two are just twinned in my mind. I I know. Um, (laughs) And then I haven't watched it for a few years. Pretty much once once we moved down to Hastings, I think the first year we did actually watch it. But then I feel like I've not, I've just sort of lost track of it. And obviously it didn't happen last year. And I think one of the reasons, I think I've partly worked out, I hated it this year, I really did. But I think it was partly because I wasn't in the mood, but also... It's probably because every year I always watch the Eurovision stream of it, which is just the show itself. Yeah. Whereas this year we actually watched it on BBC One for like the first time that we've watched it for ages. And I just thought that their coverage of it, I thought Graham Norton, who I like enough, I've got nothing against Graham Norton, but I thought he was absolutely awful. He wasn't very good at it, I would say. He was so cringy and shit, his entire uh, thing. And I don't know. And I don't know. There was just something about it that just made me really sad. Yeah. Not the music was no worse than it normally is. Is it because the people you wanted to win didn't win? Well, I, wasn't I don't even know who you wanted to win at the Iceland. end. Iceland. Oh, Iceland. Well, you like Germany, and they got two points. I so like just Germany, saying. Um, well, he do, he doesn't he doesn't like hate. Well, he doesn't feel hate. He just feels <laughs> sorry for you. But um, so there's there's a few uh, notable points I would say. A the winners were Italy, which I think was the first time Italy have won in a long time, and. If I'm correct, the first time a group has won since Lordy, oh. which was 2006. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, and by look, so I've followed them on Instagram since because I'm a lunatic. <laughs> lunatic, I'm so crazy. No, I mean I'm just a loser. That's what I meant to say. Um, and it Both looks are well, it looks like they're a genuine band because there's pictures of them as teenagers busking. Like they've been a band since they were young. Yeah, I'm not and I think the dress up was just but, I mean, the Eurovision glam nonsense. Yeah. But equally, also was the song. 
Yeah. And some was fine. It was, yeah. But it was eerie. You can. Well, I mean, I'm sure like Maroon some, 5 were probably a band. Yeah. Do you know but what I, I tell mean? you what, I did not. I, I didn't think it was bad. I really liked it, but I just didn't think it was a contender to win. And then it got the public vote by like. It yeah. got 150 more votes than any other. Pretty much about that, because it got yeah. 350 something public votes, whereas everyone else got about. The most next one down was about 220 something. So they, they absolutely crushed it, which was amazing considering. Up until then, the jury had put France and Switzerland at the top. And France, I think, is considered a really good entry, although I didn't understand it personally, but that's nothing against it. I think it was probably the best song. It, I didn't like it particularly, but it was probably, like, it yeah. was quite a good song. But then Switzerland was terrible, yeah, Switzerland actually. Was and the first few votes in, I was like, oh, OK, well, this apparently is good, but why? Hmm. And so seeing them get utterly crushed at the last minute by Italy's public vote was beautiful. Really liked that. The, in fact, <laughs> the reverse voting thing was um it is brutal and it is really harsh because <laughs> because if you're not doing very well and then you're sitting there waiting to hear what your public vote is and it's shit especially if you got a really good jury vote and then got nothing with the public yeah i love that stuff but i will say i think that was one and don't get me wrong it's been like this for a few years i think now. yeah but one of the things that I really hated the most about it was how drawn out that entire process yeah, is it was and i long. think it might be partly because i think it's probably not that abnormal in modern day television yeah. to like that's how it's such a like fake version of yeah. building tension oh yeah it is but i think that that's probably if you watch tv like you're probably to some extent yeah. old to it a little bit but it was a real shock to my well, system well i know like, why they've done it because it used to be the other way around they used yeah. to announce all the jury votes and then go around public uh, country by country getting their public vote but that yeah. meant that you knew who won Probably 20 minutes before the last yeah, no, vote was cast. It. But they could have just done it so much quicker. There was no need yeah. for... There was so... There's just, there the, was no need could, for Amanda did, Holden, I can tell you yeah, that. There's that a lot of, there's a lot of things like that. But I will say it was nice to see that man with the saxophone from... <gasps> um, um, Moldo- no. Moldova. Was it Moldova? Yeah, from like three years ago. Or I can't was, remember what they're called. Um, oh, God, I can't remember what they were called, but they had that um, Hey Mama song. Yeah, hey and Mama, the, don't let And the little foot stomp dance, and he was on the saxophone doing the running man. He's known as the saxophone man. Well, that was the last time that we... Watched yeah. it, probably. And I enjoyed that one. That so one good. was quite good. But anyway, um, other, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say one other thing that I didn't like about it that I never like is when Sweden don't do very well. <gasps> and like Sweden I, did very if bad. If I may just explain that. Sweden, the song was fucking great, I thought. It was the best one of the lot. But you just, I, really you, I mean, you actually it, don't even mean that. You're no, just saying because you love to sing it. Oh, no, I can't. But <laughs> <laughs> That's a horrible thing to do to someone on live radio that isn't obviously live. But anyway, I can cut that. Um, <laughs> I, um, I used to watch... So my, one of my favourite things about Eurovision, this is how much I was into it a few years ago, one of my favourite things to watch was to watch the Melody Festivalen. It was the Swedish Heats. And it was always head and... It was just like all of the songs in their heats were always... Because they... I think they take it really seriously. They have a big competition to yeah. get their person. And their they? competition was brilliant. It was better than Eurovision itself. And that's where Lorene came from, <gasps> which is the great, one of the greatest songs ever made full stop, but definitely the best Eurovision song. It's definitely the best Eurovision song. No question. Oh, so good. Um, but yeah, so that was one... I don't like it when Sweden did it. Oh, <laughs> it was called A Million Voices. It's the one I woke up singing, but oh. it's because it was, I think, second last in the... Yeah. Anyway... Some nice things that happened. There was a lot of uh, rock influence songs this year. Obviously, the last... I, I say nice. I'm going to go with nice. I'm saying yeah. it. Um, actually, no, I'm not going to say it because Finland was really bad. So Italy obviously won with their whatever that was. Lee Singer looks a bit like drugged up Perry Farrell, which was exactly nice. Like it's exactly what it was Perry going Farrell's for. Perry Farrell's outfit and everything. I enjoyed it really? immensely, so that was <laughs> fine. Um, <laughs> but then you've got Finland doing their thing. 
Which one was Finland? Stick your fingers up, something about oh, this. Oh, Jesus Christ. Which yeah, someone's noted here. Like that was here. like a new metal song. It was really bad. Yeah. Someone's likened it to Linkin Park, which is beautiful. Yeah, it's exactly beautiful. what it was. Yeah. But um, yeah. I didn't realise it came straight after or straight before no, the Germany yeah, one. Of course it did. Where when, they've got that person walking around as a yeah, middle finger. No, this is what it's... Yeah, no, so when they were showing the... You know where they went through all oh, of the yeah, different yeah, yeah. things? It went, I don't feel hate. Yeah. And then... And I just feel sorry. <laughs> and then the other... And then Stick it just went, Stick your that Which is definitely someone's done that cleverly, and I mean they Finland got loads of votes. Those, someone and Germany got someone none. should just mix those two songs together. And that, that is very true. A, that would make a good. Well, one. That is very true. Um, the Ukraine entry was absolutely amazing, mm. and people are saying it should have done better than it did. But you know, the good songs don't win. It is what it is. But that was genuinely amazing, and people said they've put far too much effort in <laughs> for a Eurovision <laughs> song that didn't win. Um, the first song was an amazing cover of Lady Gaga Bad Romance. Oh my so God. I'm not upset that about it, but yeah. no. <laughs> but it, I was like, God, this song's good. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And I just sang Bad Romance over the top of I the mean, whole thing. They definitely the should be sued for that. I think there's, um, a, there is a particular... An, I mean, an ongoing lawsuit. This article I'm reading from has <laughs> cited it as a problem. But then the main thing that's really good is a Russia song, mm. which didn't get anywhere near the attention via the public vote and the jury vote that it should have, but it's so it's, kind of really it's such an improvement on... Simple, I don't know, it's just a good thing. What a good thing for Russia to have put out there, a song about being a strong woman. She's dressed up as a, a Russian doll mm. sort of thing, and I don't know necessarily all the words, but the bits that are in English were about just being a, a strong woman. Yeah. Um, which I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't I claim to know it, anything more well, about it. I think, unfortunately, it, it because it was really in Russian, good. that probably didn't... I mean, it definitely did come across, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But there was, the vast majority was in Russian, so it's yeah. difficult for... And actually, uh, not that I... I don't know, it's a stupid thing to say, but had a bit more of it been in English, would maybe more people have gotten on board with knowing what it was about? Yeah, but probably. it's very clear what it's about. Mm. But I think the the point still got across, but I think people were just uh, swayed by Perry Farrell lookalike from <laughs> Italy at this point. Apparently, because they you, did really bad with the jury. I tell you, they weren't swayed by <laughs> that, that poor little fat boy that sang for England. <laughs> or Britain, I <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, no. He got zero votes and then zero votes. And the way that they do it now is they re- <laughs> they renounce the last person's... So that whoever gets the lo- least points from the jury, they then announce their public vote. So he's already got zero from the jury. And he's not first And then they're like, and the public vote for UK is... No, but... And you just think, oh... But he didn't give a shit at this point, I well, don't Because sure you know did, it's coming I mean, at that point, what can you do? He just, yeah, yeah, yeah he was half cut. Put on a face. And, and also, sorry, one last thing. San Marino paying all that money to get Flo Rida in and getting oh, 50 yeah. points. And <laughs> Flo Rida looks so eggy. <laughs> he as well. he was like... He didn't get that it was there was I, any humour to be pan, like, taken from He did not find it funny at all. <laughs> Fantastic. But anyway, that's probably enough attention on Eurovision. So, uh, Dave, what's your well, next like, thing? Well, from one uh, version of High Art, I'd like to go to another. Um, <laughs> I've got a bit of a poetry roundup, if I may. Oh, poetry and zines, really. There's loads of really cool stuff that's coming out. I appreciate that most people don't listen to this uh, this podcast for the poetry, so I shall be relatively brief. But I do want to just give a shout out to some really good stuff that's happening at the moment. Um, I've mentioned this press before. There's a press called Between Shadows Press, based in um, New Jersey. Uh, they're releasing loads and loads of poetry chapbooks at the moment, and I think about two weeks ago. They dropped something like 20 new titles. Um, I picked up a few of them and I just wanted to tell you about them really. Um, Beat Street by Eric Keegan, uh, Nobody Forgets by Glenn Binger and uh, 
there's this girl I think you should meet by Claire Richardson. All of them are absolutely brilliant, and I definitely would suggest you finding out about Between Shadows Press. They're really doing some exciting things. Um, Claire Richardson, who wrote the last one that I just mentioned, has also done a split zine with uh, Andy Talbot. Um, it's called Split Lips. Um, it's on sale at the moment. I think uh, last thing I saw, they only had a couple of issues left. Um, and it's a mixture of poetry and photography. I think Andy um, takes the photos and Claire does the, the writing, so that's really great. Uh, another shout-out to uh, another press that's doing some really good things is Black Flowers. Um, their tag on Instagram is Black Flowers Online. Uh, a little while ago, they released a chapbook by a guy called Pete Donahue, who is a Hastings-based poet. And uh, they've just put out another new one called uh, from Violetta Lee uh, called Night Paces. That one's up for pre-order at the moment. Um, these, they're called the Black Editions, and they're just really beautifully put together chapbooks and zines. I've got the Pete Donahue one. Um, it's got some really amazing artwork in there as well, and it's just a really lovely thing. Also, we haven't caught up with Martin Appleby. We haven't done any Martin Appleby news oh, for a little while. Oh, he's got something coming um, out. So, yeah, uh, well, so he's uh, started Scumbag Press a little while ago and he's releasing a new chat book every month and he's just put out one by Natasha Helen Crudden uh, which is called Press Any Key to Continue I think again there's only a few uh, copies of that left as well I think um, when I last looked there was only five yeah, and that was yesterday right. so there might not even be any they go pretty quick yeah. to be honest so I would definitely follow Scumbag Press and just keep an eye out like I say every month he's putting out a new chat book also um, there has been an episode for a little while but I think there's one coming Martin also does a podcast called Punk and Poetry Podcast which you can find on Spotify and I would definitely go and listen to that there is one episode that I'm on from quite a long time ago, a really long time ago. So God only knows what I say. Um, and one last thing, um, there's this really nice YouTube programme that's being made at the moment called Zinspiration Chat. It's really cool. Um, it's by a guy called Craig who runs Five O'Clock Zine Reviews and a guy called Ryan that makes Pocket Thought Zines. Um, they're basically uh, interviewing different uh, people that make zines, not just poetry, but all sorts of different stuff. They've had some really interesting people on there and the chats are always really great. So I will put that on our YouTube playlist and I would really check it out. And one last piece of poetry news uh, is a bit of a self-plug. I put out a poetry chat book about three weeks ago called Poems About Fucking, um, which uh, you can get now via my Instagram page, which is at fuckballads. I've done a few things for it which you could check out. Again, I've made, um, I'll put this on the YouTube playlist. I made a kind of short film to go alongside it, which has all the poems read out over various different images, which I've sort of stolen from various different places. And I also did a live stream a few weeks ago where I kind of talk a little bit about the, uh, the chapbook and read a few other people's poems and read some poems for it. That's on my Instagram page as well. So if you wanted to support me with that, that would be very welcome. Uh, like I say, you can buy it online, but you can also, if you're in Hastings, it's now available at Cloth & Wax, which is a new record shop, which is in the Goodman's Barber's building. Yeah, down in the basement. We didn't know. I mean, it's fairly new, so it's very new. I think. It's very new. Cloth and Wax is a lovely place run by a chap called Adam, and go in there and have a look because it's got loads of lovely stuff in there, and it's really nice. You can have a little sit down. It's got some lovely seating in there. Mm-hmm. It is quite small, but the idea it's very comfortable, and you could spend a lot of time. Well, I think we spent about an hour, maybe say, an hour yeah. and a half in there. It's got loads of really unusual things as well. You'll you'll definitely stumble across. He's got a lot of like really great kind of new records yeah. that, are, that are really well picked and out. And loads of re-releases. But also it's brilliant like loads of second hand stuff. Yeah. A really interesting selection. 
yeah, it was really nice. We loved it in there. Um, other local things that have come up for us in the last month. This is a little bit of... Uh, this is what I've been up to in the last month. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to give a shout out to two businesses. One is Two Snakes Tattoo. I've been lucky enough to have a lot of pain in, inflicted by them in oh, the last uh, couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, of course we have. Mm. Um, I've been tattooed by Alexis and Kiska there in the last month. And I just, I don't know, they're amazing. I love them so much. So just wanted to give them a big shout out. I've got a lovely big leopard on my leg now and another palm tattoo. <laughs> uh, which needs, needs a bit of redoing. Oh, it always does. But, you know, I'll be there one day to get that done, I promise. And Dave got his fingers tattooed as well with fun and joy. Mm-hmm. Because that's very hardcore and, and uh, scary. Just oh. like me. Yeah, hardcore <laughs> and scary. Not you. Um, so, yeah, Two Snakes Tattoo. Follow them on Instagram, Facebook. Find them everywhere. They've got loads of good artists in there. And um, and the other thing I wanted to give a shout-out to was my hairdresser. Because I finally got my hair done in the last six, well, six months of not having it done. feels a bit pathetic to say but when you've got green hair and it's just growing out and you look like a weird troll with crap hair so um nina is my hairdresser she runs the back room at emma hellier hair salon in bex hill she's totally vegan all of her products are vegan and uh, animal uh, cruelty free and little tiny little touches like every single refreshment she'll offer you is vegan you don't even have to quiz it um and i had Hot chocolate and marshmallows, which felt like a right treat. Anyway, so Nina Nirvana here is her Instagram tag and Facebook, so go and have a look at her as well. A lot of shout-outs this week. I know, uh, well, it's been, news. It's yeah, been no, like four weeks of not being able to do yeah, this. Yeah, we didn't so. really acknowledge that. Last uh, week's episode, we did a completely different thing where we ignored all of our usual uh, routines, routines <laughs> and just did one long episode where we just talked. Yeah. So, yeah, we're probably catching up a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. So from things very close to home to something rather further away... Um, I happened to notice that they've just announced the Lollapalooza 2021 bill and I thought I'd have a little look at it because I thought to myself, oh, Lollapalooza used to be very cool back in the 90s. <laughs> well, not so. Um, I have to admit, I thought that I kind of kept up with modern music <laughs> to some extent oh, my. until I had a look at this. But there are a couple of surprises. So Lollapalooza in the 90s, when it first started, it's the um, this is the second Perry Farrell. I was about to say, Perry Farrell did mention. this. This yeah. is very strange. Uh, so Perry Farrell put the Lollapalooza together, and it, and not that I ever went because I was very young, but it certainly was one of those things that when you saw like write ups of it, they just used to look so fucking cool. They had all the like the coolest bands from the nineties. It wasn't just bands; they had things like the Jim Rose Circus sideshow mm. there, all sorts of crazy shit. They had just the bills from the early Lollapalooza. I won't bother going through them. I mean, they're a bit of a grunge fest, but there's, there's just super cool stuff on there. And I thought to myself, oh, cool, Lollapalooza's back. I didn't, I'm not sure if it, if it is back. I don't know whether it ever <laughs> went away, but in my head it went away many years ago. So I pulled this up. I thought, oh, Foo Fighters, first headliner. I thought, all right, well, you know, a bit middle of the road, but that's fine. Yeah. The other four headliners, Post Malone, Tyler the Creator and Miley Cyrus. Not quite. Uh, Tyler the Creator's all right, but I was about to say, not, not really in keeping with... Uh, with what I was imagining. But Not then again, thing. as I look through it, I mean, I don't know any of these bands, and some of their names just jumped out at me, like Da Baby. <laughs> I don't know who Da Baby is. Who's Marshmallow? Drop the W on Marshmallow. Yeah. Illenium could be anything. Yeah, but, but I mean, I've Meg- just realised what you were hiding from me. <laughs> Megan, Megan the Stallion. Yeah. Um, 
Limp fucking Biscuit are there. Limp fucking Biscuit. They're pretty high up. And like Jimmy Eat World are there. Angels and Airways. Ooh, that's one of the pricks from Blink-182. That's Tom DeLong doing oh, his like... He's um, the one who likes that. Attempt at having a nice time in a kind of pop synthy way. It was I mean, very bad. The front bottoms are there. Like there's a few things here and there, but it is just... No, I can't. I can see Modest Mouse. It's just... And that's it. But anyway... Oh, Young Thug. <laughs> oh. But... Second to top billet, or not second to top. No, on the second line. On the second line of the thing. Fucking journey. Journey. I mean, that's the only good thing. But this is literally, it's Foo Fighters, Post Malone, Tyler the Creator, Miley Cyrus, The Baby, Marshmallow, (laughs) Elenium, Journey, Megan the Stallion, (laughs) Roddy Rich, Kay Tranada, Brock Hampton, Playboy Playboy Carty. Carty, Young Thug. Oh, no, Young Thug is is good, actually. Polo G, Trippy Red. Steve Aoki's there. Isn't Steve Aoki a he, skateboarder? Uh, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> but no, he um, he uh, is... I don't know if you call him a DJ or he's something to do with music, but there's a French electro called couple Steve. called... No, <laughs> called the Bloody Beatroots. Or oh, maybe they're Italian. Oh, no, I don't know now. Now I'm second-guessing myself. Anyhow, Might, But yeah, he, being, he's involved in some good music. So The I, point I being mind. is that this entire bill, from top to bottom, made me feel incredibly old. Yeah, I was almost relieved to see Limp Bizkit just because it was, <laughs> just because it was the first name that I recognised. Oh yes, now so, we know. Uh, so yeah, it's really sad. I feel really. I don't know whether it's because all of this music is utter horseshit, which is what I'm going for because I can't think that all of this stuff I'm is a... like really good new bands. Yeah, I'm really quickly trying to read the rest Cash, to see if I spot any Omar other Apollo, names. And I Rico just Nasty, Earth Gang. I mean, Earth might... Gang. I've heard of. I was going to say you might be saying some good people. I don't know. Like Peekaboo? Oh, yeah, sorry. I don't <laughs> they know. all sound like made-up names from a brass ice kit. <laughs> That's the thing. Oh, there's someone called Chomper. There's I someone like called it. Tonight, but they've just released... The, they've just got rid of the O and the I. Oh. It's There's a lot of... I don't understand the removal of vowels to make a band. Oh, apart but if they, sometimes they make sense, but Tonight does not <laughs> make sense. No sense. Riot 10 is... Um, isn't that kind of like two Pearl Jam references? <laughs> <laughs> So hopefully they're just, they're like a grunge super group. Oh, JPEG Mafia. Emotional <laughs> Oranges. These are fucking made up names. <laughs> Peachtree Rascals. <laughs> oh, I love it. Sorry, if any of these bands might be good. Child with four eyes. I tell you what, no, here's an, I mean, no one ever takes me up on this offer, but shamcityroses at gmail.com. <laughs> email us which of these bands we should listen to, because there's far too many. I was going to try and listen to some of them, but I didn't know where to start. Brownies and Lemonade All-Stars? Look, St. John has removed the O from John, so he's St. John. <laughs> Why? Very upsetting removal of vowels going on at Lollapalooza. So, Lollapalooza <laughs> is in Chicago between Lollap- at the end of July if and Lollapalooza, the Sorry, if Lollapalooza removed its vowels... It would be three L's at the beginning, for one thing. Lol. Lop, no. You can't even do it. Lobblers. Ah, uh, oh no, without no. her. <laughs> it hurts to actually say that physically. Anyhow, that's uh, that. I, I do feel that extremely bullshit old. Saver. Um, I mean, it's, I don't think it's bullshit. I think it's very valid uh, criticism. No, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's valid criticism. So, talking about valid criticism, let me criticise you and your <laughs> accent in this week's edition of Norfolk News. All right, and hello, all you out there listening to this podcast, cast, cast. <laughs> Fuck news. That's not like I've been to Norfolk recent. Um, well. 
What's my Norfolk news story this week? Been looking at the Eastern Daily Press website once again on the <laughs> interwebs. You sound like you're reading it slowly. No, I don't read. <laughs> <laughs> and what I must say that what I'm about to read you was an exclusive <laughs> to the Eastern Daily Press website for its very uh, horrendous content. Is it exclusive because no one else was interested? I'll let you be the judge of that, I reckon. <laughs> now, the, the the title of this piece is Horror Show. <laughs> DIY Dentist Pulls 18 of His Own Teeth Out. <laughs> <laughs> now, Sorry, again? I've got a lot of questions. You want to hear again? <laughs> Horror Show. DIY Dentist Pulls 18 of His Own Teeth Out. <laughs> How many teeth does a normal human being have? I am not it's entirely not that sure many more than 18, that anyone from Norfolk that I've ever met's got eighteen <laughs> teeth. No, I'm, I'm going to count mine. You do your thing, and I'll count my count teeth. your teeth. So, loads of questions here. What? <laughs> I mean, my my main attraction to this piece is the poor bugger that's in the picture. There's a picture of a tooth, and then there's just a picture of a of a chap with a pint, a Heineken, and a, <laughs> next to it. So. After his teeth removal, I guess he just went and got himself a pint to steady his hand a bit. I think I've got 28 teeth. 28 teeth. So he's got do 10 left. Do you assu- well, you're assuming that he started with all of his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so let's hear a bit more about this. I mean, there isn't much to it. It's actually pretty horrendous, this story. Poor David Spores removed 18 of his own teeth in lockdown. This antiques dealer was forced to yank out 18 of his own teeth after suffering unbearable agony <laughs> as he searched in vain for his dentist. Please tell me he used antique dental t- tools. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll get... David, we'll get to that. <laughs> he runs the History Box in Magdalen Street, which if you've never been to Norfolk, or Norwich for that matter, Magdalen Street's a beautiful little road. That's right next to Anglis Square, where you can go to QD and get your um, that's quality discount. <laughs> That's where I used to go get my uh, tracksuit bottoms when I was a kid. A <laughs> shell suit. If you're, in, if you're in Hastings, think ESK, if it had a rack where you could buy socks. Um, <laughs> what, individual? No, uh, well... Pairs. I don't know. Pairs of. Um, I but think it's a quick save in Orpington where you could buy individual socks <laughs> to try and match them up with ones if you've got a hole. <laughs> well, I mean, for those who ain't been... It's a bit like Roiser Roxham, but Roiser Roxham was far more um, upmarket than QD. And QD, as far as I'm aware, might still exist. That's where you'd go get your Tupperware for cheap, go get your um, clip frames for your shit um, certificates you put on the wall. They had really... Sweets I've never seen anywhere else. I'm not convinced they are suitable for all consumptions. Is it the road that we went many years ago to a cafe on? Well, yes, you're talking about the Moonlight Cafe. The Moonlight Cafe. Where, uh, oh, fuck, that was, that was beautiful. The sort of breakfast where they hide the fried bread. You didn't even know there was going to be fried bread. And then you're digging in under your beans. But there was also... I there mean, was... David's not having fun with his beans, but then he's like, oh, my gosh, yeah. fried bread. No, I think I wouldn't have had any beans. But, no, there was, there was, uh, two, there was an old lady there with a tattoo on her face. <gasps> And then there was, I think, a girl who might have had a learning disability on the other side of the cafe. And po- just... Apologies if you're listening, my Norfolk loves, well, and that I might don't be think you. they're listening to this podcast. <laughs> but they just suddenly started hollering at each other, not in an angry way, but just 
I can't remember what it was. One of them I got know. excited about um, the, what they were I believe, David. No, we was all being invited to their Anne Summers party. Oh, my God. That, that was, was going on that night. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she was loudly announcing where the... Uh, <laughs> address of the property was announcing it to the room which at that moment in time had about four elderly gentlemen in it um i think we saw they were all staring at us because i think we was on one of the regulars tables and uh that was nice that was nice i hope that's still there that cafe i imagine that probably still it looked gentrified a bit the last time we were in norwich we went down that street and they had like i mean you know i can't talk but they had like a bit of a craft coffee place there. And oh, I think a... uh, Norwich Little Shop of Vegans is on that I road think it as is. well. It yeah. is. But Moonlight Cafe, holding strong, selling its dodgy sausages and whatever else, <laughs> getting invites to your own summer's parties, just pop in. I wonder if he had eaten too many breakfasts from the Moonlight Cafe and that's why he needed to rip out 18 of his own teeth. <laughs> he being Dave Spools, the actual uh, subject of this bit, <laughs> not Moonlight Cafe. So let's get back to him. So... Actually, this is a terrible bit of story, I must say. I feel a bit awful for this man. It was unbearable. I felt like no one cared. I kept calling dentists who told me they had full waiting lists and that they couldn't help me. So, so he ripped 18 So teeth. what he did, he finally decided that the only answer was loop and string around the tooth and using brute force to take each one out. Did he do that thing that people used to do where they slam the door? You, you put it to the door handle and you slam the door? I, he ain't being too specific on the details, which I only can imagine is because of the trauma that he went through. <laughs> well, he's having a pint. He looks happy in the picture. Yeah. I mean, good for him. It's been sorted out because uh, in a chance encounter with someone from a dentist surgery who overheard the uh, story as he was pleading with a receptionist, a dentist has offered to fix it all. Well, but, he's already done it. But, what can he fix? <laughs> I think he's already ripped all his teeth out. <laughs> so I don't know what he's going to do for him, but well done to whoever that dentist is that's going to sort his mouth out now that he's ripped all his teeth out. Poor bugger. We'll put a picture of the, uh, of the man up with his pint, I reckon, because it's very... Can you see his teeth in the picture? Oh, he's very much got his mouth shut. Yeah. Very much. Would, he? Well, he's all gums, isn't he? I all gums I mean, and blood. If you've got to a point where 18 of your teeth hurt so much you've got to rip them out I mean I think he's got a problem isn't he a big old problem in his mouth if all of his or teeth in his, well, come in his out. mouth or somewhere in his head also I feel like if you've got a bit of a bit of an achy bit in your mouth 18 teeth that's your whole head did there's he something wrong with you did he want to take one out and he accidentally put the string <laughs> oh. around the whole of the bottom ones or something? Just oh the... <laughs> fiddle pops that's, that's not the right one next one oh no that don't hurt next one oh shit all my teeth out anyway I don't know it's gone on yeah, a bit long you, this yeah, you should never do dentistry by like trial or error it, lots, that's, it sounds like this is all error but poor poor chappy with no teeth should we play some music yes now? please <laughs> So next we're going to play Riviera Kid, who are a band from Margate. Um, this song is called Black Dot, and it's from originally from their uh, CD EP, which was called It's Not a Matter of A or B, which was released in 2018. But it's just recently been reissued on a split CD with Brazen Hussey, who we, we played, played on this show mm. a few, yeah. I don't know, a few episodes ago. A few episodes uh, again, both, of the, both bands are fucking great, so that CD is awesome. It's come out uh, via Inner Magic Recordings, which um, I think we talked about a few weeks ago as well. Mm -hmm. They're doing some really good things. And yeah, so this is Riviera Kid with Black Dot.
Welcome back to the Breakfast Punks podcast. We're now going to get to our main topic of this episode, uh, which is the programme The Secret Rulers of the World. It's a five-part documentary series that was shown on Channel 4 in 2001, made by a guy called John Ronson. Uh, there's a book to go along with it, which is called Them. Uh, John Ronson is an excellent writer. He's a, he's a journalist, fundamentally, but he's made a number of different films uh, and documentary series and uh, also written the book uh, The Men Who Stare at Goats, which you've probably heard of because it was made into a Hollywood film. And uh, my favourite thing that he's ever done, uh, which is a 2011 book called The Psychopath Test. Um, like I say, he also made this TV series to go alongside his book Them, Adventures with Extremists, which um, is called The Secret Rulers of the World. And it covers a number of different topics. Each episode covers a different specific area of conspiracy theory. Uh, they're very much tied by the fact that everybody in them believes that there is a sort of new world order or that there's some shadowy elite hidden behind the powers that be that's kind of ruling the world. And John Ronson kind of does a... Uh, he's got a kind of gonzo sort of journalistic style where he really gets involved with the subjects... He's got a really good way of... He's not a million... I think probably the most obvious comparison would be to someone like Louis Theroux. He sits on the fence, as it were, and just allows people to kind of hang themselves, really, for the mm. most part. Which is obviously quite difficult, particularly in this context, because uh, throughout the series and as part of the book, he spends time with white supremacists... Um, white separatists, mm. lots of really insane people, proper like Nazis. And in the book, he goes and visits the leader of the Ku Klux Klan, which isn't actually in the book, but is quite a funny little story, actually. <laughs> and there's quite a lot of humour to be found in these people. But obviously, uh, it, you know, the the type of people that they are is kind of difficult to... Uh, I don't know. He makes it he makes it very easy to laugh at them, which I think is quite an interesting thing that he does. Uh, this is all particularly interesting and definitely from his point of view, because he is actually Jewish. Um, and so he's often going into these places that are like out in the middle of nowhere and interviewing these proper like anti-Semitic people and just sort of staying quiet about the fact that, he's a, that he is Jewish himself. And I think at one point, again, this isn't actually in the TV show, but at one point, one some skinhead comes up to him and starts questioning his like bloodline mm. and this sort of stuff, and won't let him leave until he mm. tells him and stuff. So I mean, he really, he really did, um, he really did get in, get his hands dirty um, well, and get in there. And the first episode, again, it's not in the TV series, but the first. Uh, chapter of the book is he's hanging around with an Islamic extremist and oh, he yeah. ends up basically becoming his personal chauffeur by yeah. accident yeah. Um, <laughs> just driving him around to various events and throughout that they mention um, their feelings about Jewish people and how very anti-Jewish people they are and he doesn't make mention of it and right at the end the uh, extremist man is just like oh I know you're Jewish in fact the one thing I don't like about you is you weren't proud of it yeah, uh, yeah. you should have you should have mentioned it ages ago he's like I don't I don't care Except he does care. It's part of this man's um, thing. But yeah, anyway, it's interesting the ways in which it comes up and it's, how yeah. weirdly difficult it must have been to sit back and. Well, it's anyway. quite interesting as well because, and this is more so in the book because I think the TV show definitely um, concentrates more on a very specific area of uh, conspiracy theorists. But in the book, he deals. He goes and deals with all of these people, and most of them hate each other mm. and have conspiracies theories against each other and, and what have you, or think that each other are on 
you know, on the side of whoever it is that they think is the secret ruler of the world. But the one thing I feel like they all have in common is that they all have a problem with Jewish people. Yeah. I think that's so, so, I mean, well, he does put but, himself, you know, quite in there. I yeah. Think. I mean, that's telling of what people believe, these people believe about a new world order as well. Yeah, totally. But we'll get, we'll get, we'll maybe get to that. But um, one of the other interesting things about this is that the book was written and the series was made in the run up to 2001. So it actually came out in 2001. So all of this is literally happening. I mean, some of the things that he covers are a little bit older than this, but he's he's writing this book just before 9-11 happens, like just before. And so obviously 9-11 changed the world an awful lot. But, and spawned some of the biggest conspiracy Well, absolutely, theories. but it's, it's, it's both interesting. And again, we'll kind of we'll tackle this as we go through it. But it's kind of interesting because so much is different now but so much is the same now and you you can totally see it, it, some of these conspiracy theories almost seem quite quaint and nice in comparison to like QAnon and stuff but mm. actually they are also incredibly similar same. Yeah. and there's a lot of people as well that he meets at this time who are relatively young who go on to play quite big roles in things like QAnon and 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 Trump as well. I mean, in in the context of where we are in the world right this second, it's quite interesting to go back twenty years and see where we were twenty years ago in the context of all of this stuff. Because I think this is one of you know a lot of this is like leading to Trump and leading to mm. QAnon and leading to all of this this stuff. So, like I say, we're gonna the book. We'll use the book a little bit for reference here and there, but fundamentally, we're just going to use the actual TV show itself, and we're going to go through each episode. I should say that um, the entire series is on YouTube. I would really, really, really recommend it. It's such a great series. And just to say, each episode tackles a huge topic, so we really are going to try and be brief on each episode, just give you an overview of what it is and our feelings about it, because if we discussed every angle of each episode, we'd be here for days, because it's a really huge and interesting subject. So again, please go watch the episodes. Many pe- one of the reasons why there's so many conspiracy theories is because it's very easy to go down the rabbit hole oh, on Christ. this stuff. I did find myself exactly. watching quite a lot of David Icke uh, speaking yeah. uh, <laughs> engagements. I didn't really know a lot about any of this until I watched the programme. And so I'm suspecting that many of you may already know tons of this, but some of you might not know anything. So I think it's worth, in each episode, overviewing what the subject matter is and then maybe giving our opinions on it. Mm-hmm. See where we go. And hopefully it won't take two hours. <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons why we've divided it up into two, because... We are aware that recently this podcast is is getting a bit out of hand with how long it's getting. (laughs) So without further ado, (laughs) the first episode is called The Legend of Ruby Ridge. It's about the Weaver family, who are a family that believed in a new world order and a tyrannical elite of international bankers enslaving the world. Um, They were sick of society and sick of the threat of their government, so they separated from society and moved to the mountains in idaho to a place called ruby creek ruby ridge isn't actually the name of the place no, it came like about a mixture of one place and another yeah place, i think yeah ended up rolling off the tongue when mm. reported a lot probably what it's called the legend um so this family are living separately but they end up being involved in a local white power group for the social side not <laughs> the politics and they're quite clear that they never agreed with the politics but yeah, John unfortunately Ron- John Ronson says that they go there just for the picnics <laughs> the picnics and the <laughs> and the treasure hunts yeah, they quite um, they quite like the people i think is how but he it describes it but it is the Aryan Nations which yeah. is the biggest white power um America group uh, or at least it was a big one there i guess so Whilst attending this group, Randy Weavers, the um, dad of the family, is approached by an FBI informant, asked to sell him a gun, which he does. 
And then they trick him and say, look, you need to be an informant for us, otherwise you're going to go to court for this. Mm -hmm. And he makes a big song and dance and says, no, I'm never going to work for the government. You are the worst people ever. I, you know, I'm not going anywhere. So he, they then hole up in the mountains again and he avoids going to court because he thinks he's been tricked into this by his government. How dare they? So the US Marshals become involved and one thing leads to another. The US Marshals surround his house and end up surveilling him. They're scared of being surveilled and lo and behold, they end up finding cameras and finding out they are being watched. So one day the US Marshals get too close, dogs start barking and the family run out to see what's going on. The US Marshals shoot the dog shoot the, his 14-year-old son in the back as he's running back to the house. Well, they shoot him once in the front. And oh, yeah, blow his arm off, Yeah, much. they blow his arm off, and then as he's running off, they just they shoot, shoot him, him up the back with a machine gun. With a machine gun. Mm. So the family go hide in the house a bit. Another day happens, and a sniper ends up shooting the mum in the face while she's, while she's holding, holding her one-year-old baby. Mm. And the, the mum's not doing anything at this point. She's shouting to her husband, I think. So then the family end up locking themselves in the house and it becomes a siege to which the US um, Everyone army, gets involved. So the, the army and the FBI, FBI yeah. are all yeah. surrounding this house. I think the CIA too. I think. Yeah. yeah. And it leads to a 10-day siege before eventually the family come out and take it to court. Um, along the way, the dad does shoot and kill a marshal, which I think is why this whole thing ends up escalating to the point that it does. They don't report on the fact that the marshals killed so many of their family for no reason, mm -hmm. but we'll get on to that. So, yeah, that's pretty much it, where well, well, the, it, uh, what the programme's about. Yeah, I mean, he goes to court as well, and, and um, the, he's found not guilty of murder, and so his the family children friend. are given a million pounds each. In, yes, well, the surviving children. The surviving <laughs> children yeah. So, I mean, it's... Um, it was a real embarrassment for the um, for the FBI and the ATF, I think. Yeah. And at the time that it was going on, so this is in 1992, at the time that it was going on, I think that area was probably, and probably still is, full of a lot of people that had similar beliefs mm. to the Weaver family. And so it became a very public meeting of like conspiracy theorists. And because within the conspiracy theorist uh, community, there's an awful lot of... Aryan nations and white power groups mm. and things like this and so there was a lot of scenes at the bottom they lived on the top of a hill and there was a lot of scenes at the bottom of um of more and more like army trucks coming in mm. and and all of this sort of stuff well is it the national guard i think the national, the national guard, guard turned up they, yeah. they said that 400 people 400 are there and and so and then so there's loads of people at the bottom of the cliff who are you know anti new world order people mm. um there's loads of people that kind of come from out of out of the area and they're all sort of down there with placards saying yeah. that um and the weavers sort of become heroes to those people in some ways and I think one of the really interesting things about it is the is the kind of mix up uh, in the narrative of these people that believe that their government is after them mm. if in real life their government really does go after them, which is exactly what's yeah. happened here. Where the conspiracy th who, where the conspiracy theory ends and where reality begins. Yeah. So, like you were saying, he thought they were paranoid and they thought they were being surveilled by by this sort of tyrannical government. And of course, they actually were being surveilled yeah. by the, by people from you know from the FBI who were. Um, who were sort of government representatives. Yeah, or whatever. and at this point, all that they'd done is. 
been well, been tricked. Well, really. this is the problem. They have been tricked, and they have. And I mean, let it not be known, they did attend a white power group. Yeah, sure. Like it's a problem, but they weren't, you know, saying that they agreed with it. But essentially, it was an armed family that no one knew what they were about. Yeah. But all they did know is they attended a white power group. And also, which is it's, it's fine to scary say to it's, a government. It's totally true to say, oh, come on, you know, they did attend a white power group. But actually, fundamentally, they had every right to attend a white power group. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they should be shot. And that a, no, And a 14-year-old exactly. child should, certainly shouldn't be shot. No, of course. Nor should a dog. But this is, all the, this is the only reason they were interested in them, because yeah. he wouldn't become an informant and he had guns. Yeah. That's it, and they lived in the middle of nowhere. They referred to the um, FBI often referred to their house as a compound, mm. which was uh, heavily guarded, heavily armed. It was essentially a plywood house that fell down really quickly, yeah. and they actually when they it a fortress, well, yeah, they called it a fortress. <laughs> but actually, the family could hear them talking through the like, as in. They could hear them talking through the walls, and when the mm. people did come to negotiate with them, they talked through the walls. Mm. Um, they could hear people walking by them with like 15 foot to spare so it wasn't really a fortress it was definitely just a shanty shack in the middle of the mountains well another side of the whole conspiracy thing as well is the way that the media then dealt with this Mm. so like you touched on there like all of the media headlines were like white supremacists in a compound in a fortress you know in a a mountain killed a marshal and and so what one of the things that the program does is it shows a load of like late you know kind of like current affairs programs. I can't mm. remember the guy's name. Uh, Bill, Bill Meyer. Meyer, yeah. yeah. It's sort of like a comedy panel. Yeah. And so they're talking about this thing and they just, they're absolutely like, they're just, they just don't, they don't I don't care. know, they're like almost taking the piss out of the family who have, who have, who have had a 14 year old killed in cold blood yeah. and their mother dead. And, and by the way, one of the worst things about this is that when they killed the mother, because they then hold up, they were literally in a room because it's a tiny little shack. They mm. were in a room with their dead mother just laying there. And they the couldn't kitchen. they couldn't do anything about it. So yeah. if they wanted to go to the kitchen to eat anything, they had to walk past the kids had to walk past their dead mother and mm. the guy had to walk past his dead wife. Like it's a really with the dead disgust- son in the shed outside. Yeah, it's a really disgusting like scenario. Yeah. But yeah, these these people on in, within the media, they were just basically like, come on, these guys are like. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring your children up in the Aryan nation, then you deserve everything you yeah. get. And it's like, well, that's not actually fair. They it's not fair. I don't. I have to say, you know, I mean, obviously, like the Aryan nation is scary and horrible and terrible, and everything about it is awful. But it's not fair to be like, oh, you just deserve to die because yeah. you have different political beliefs to me. And they didn't refer to any of the deaths of any of the humans. They were just like, oh, that dog had rights. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they really do just take the piss out of this. Um, kind of horrible thing that's really that's really horrible thing that's happened to this family but so um the way the program works is then john ronson sort of catches up with the with one of the daughters Mm. uh rachel and um and randy weaver himself and um that's where it kind of then gets into some it's quite an interesting thing to follow like randy weaver at this point is making money by going around to gun shows Mm. and he's written a book and he's sort of signing books and getting his photograph taken with people. And obviously the people at all of these gun shows, and the gun shows pop up in a lot of the series as time mm. goes on. But obviously they're a real hotbed of, again, racists, militia men, mm. you know, uh, conspiracy theorists, all, all all the sort of craziest people that, are, that all want to buy guns. 
are all sort of in this one place. So, I mean, his life kind of then goes... I think he's got a really young girlfriend as well, hasn't he? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember that being... <laughs> Not that that matters. No. But you kind of follow his life now. And obviously, both him and his daughter... Probably, it's much easier to be sympathetic towards the daughter, unquestionably, because she's just this poor person who's got caught up in this thing, mm. What had this horrible experience, watch her mother get shot by the government. She's kind of obviously... There's a scene where they go to a bar... And mm. this guy suddenly appears with his acoustic guitar and he sings her a ballad of the ballad of Ruby Ridge or something. Mm. And he and he get, and she's like sobbing her heart out. And this guy is just like an old redneck dude that obviously like he's like I've waited for. I moved to Idaho yeah. to be near this area and yeah. I wrote this song and I always wished I could sing it to you. It really, I you really are. wonder whether that was set up because it just seemed like such an unlikely thing to have no. happened. But it, but equally. I you know I don't think it was so. Well, she it, said at the end, "Gosh, I don't know what to say when things like that happen." Yeah. <laughs> so it must happen a lot, <laughs> or off more often than. I mean, than I know absolutely ice. nothing about rural Idaho, but I suppose it's probably full of some quite unusual people. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm not really sure. But I mean, and then Randy Weaver is just this guy that's obviously seen some horrors, and he's and he's obviously really burnt out. I think he says at one point when he's being interviewed. After that, I didn't really give a shit about anything, and to be honest, I, don't, I still don't. Yeah. Something, and he does really look like a guy. He's kind of, he's kind of, he makes a, he doesn't really make jokes about the thing, but he yeah. kind of has these awkward sort of where he's making light of certain things, and you can just tell he's just this like broken dude. He definitely mentions PTSD, and he goes, "Oh, of course, we've all got post traumatic stress disorder." Like, yeah. And you, he just, yeah, you're right. He talks like someone that's just like, <laughs> oh, and then this happened. Oh dear! Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, oh my god! Like this is a man who thought the government was after him, and then the government was after him. Yeah. And not only did what, did they surveil him, he, they shot his son and his wife. Yeah, it's just like, how do you recover from that? Um, oh yeah, and then and then charged him with the murder of a U.S. marshal, where it wasn't actually ever clear where those fi- the shots come from because a lot of people were shooting, mm. um, but. I mean, that was the other thing that the um, media did. They tried to spin it and say that he shot, that they shot the dog. It was friendly fire. Um, lots of nonsense where maybe he shot his son in the back, even though, and it's just, it got very, very silly. Well, there was loads of stuff that the, because uh, they, they also interview like the sheriff or something, don't yes. they? Yes. And he's just like this cold-blooded. Well, he, he still thinks they did all yeah, right. Yeah, he just doesn't they? give a fuck. Like, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, it, it's quite incredible to watch him speak, actually. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was definitely what some of the sort of lies that were being spread at the time. Again, mm-hmm. specifically because basically the ATF and the National Guard were just making a complete meal out of mm. this this situation. Completely fucked it up. And so they were desperately just they yeah. were trying to tell the media that it was someone else's fault and not theirs. And one of the really interesting things about this, although John Ronson doesn't really talk about this in the programme, um, but... It's regularly referred to in almost all of the episodes and was an extremely big event in definitely in like the conspiracy theorist world uh, was that whilst the Weavers were on trial for all of this, there was a very similar but much bigger and much more dramatic version of this exact thing, which mm. is the siege on Waco. Mm. Um, in which happened which a year later? It was happened a year later, but it was seven During days, I think seven, six days into the trial. Yeah. So whilst this trial is going on, and the FBI are basically being picked apart by the courts and found to just be completely culpable for the entire thing, mm-hmm. they suddenly decide that this group of religious, admittedly lunatics, with lots of guns, um, but who aren't really doing anyone any harm, they decide mm-hmm. that they're going to go in and they're going to disarm them. Yeah. And of course they say, no, you're not having our guns, because you know mm. this is the belief of these people. 
And um, I mean, Waco is a really big uh, subject, which we probably can't go into here because, like I say, it's not really brought up in the program. Mm. But it is a really sort of big event mm. that the FBI, well, a, a conspiracy theory is that the FBI um, deliberately started the Waco siege to almost have a second crack at it so that they could they could so get it they right. They did it right, and yeah. Then they, yeah, but I mean, what actually happened was 76 people, a good chunk of whom were very young children, were burst, basically burnt alive yeah. in the Waco siege. And, in um, a fire that they still claim was yeah. set from inside. I mean, which, the, the Waco let's just not go there, but <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. But yeah, um, but it is, it, but it's insane that this happens whilst these people are on mm. trial for, like, say something that's something that's very similar. And and I mean, Waco will go on to we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit in the Timothy McVeigh episode, which is a little bit later on because that influenced him. But one of the things about Waco is that uh, Randy Weaver actually went back, and I think at the time that the program was being made. This guy, Alex Jones, who we'll definitely talk about more in probably the next episode yeah. of the podcast, because uh, he, he's more in the later part of the series, but you probably know who Alex Jones is because he's still about. He rebuilt the Waco church. And so I think Randy Weaver had thought of something to do with it. But to be honest, I think he was just a celebrity that used to go there. And people, he was, he was, he became a celebrity within yeah. the sort of, within conspiracy these theories conspiracy world. theories people's world, yeah. yeah, which is kind of crazy. And speaking of celebrities, maybe we should move on to episode two, shall we? Yes. So, uh, so talking of celebrities in within the uh, conspiracy theories world, um, the second episode of The Secret Rules of the World is all about David Icke, Aww. who is someone who I'm <laughs> guessing most people know about, but um, I'll just give a very quick rundown. David Icke was a footballer who played, I think, for Leicester, mm-hmm. and he had arthritis, I think, so he had, 21, to, he yeah, had, to, stop. He had to retire at 21. He was a goalkeeper, mm. and um, then he became like the face of grandstand, and he was really well known during the sort of eighties um, and very early nineties for being a you know a sports presenter. And I think in ninety two, he went on uh, the Wogan program again. I feel like I probably need to even explain what the Wogan program is, although I'm, I'm sure loads of people know what it is. But the Wogan program was like a kind of top, uh, 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 topical like interview program with Terry Wogan who used to just have, like, two or three guests on. I think it was every night. It was, like, proper yeah. mainstream primetime BBC yeah, One really... programme. And yeah. David Icke went on there as one of his guests in a shell suit. Not that that's important. But it is important. It's a very nice shell suit. Well, the colour of it is important. Oh, it is important. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Doesn't blue worn off? Anyway, don't worry. It... Read the book. It's important <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> yeah. David Icke goes on the, on the Wogan programme and basically says that he's the son of God. And uh, loads of cat- uh, catastrophic events are gonna are about to happen to the world, um, unless the, unless everybody changes their uh, their ways. Mm. It's not really very clear. He's not really given much of a chance to talk, which is fair enough. Um, there's a really famous bit where David, Icke, after after talking to about all of this stuff for a while, David Icke says it's interesting that a lot of you in the audience are laughing uh, because it's good to laugh. It really gets rid of some stress about you know about the what's going to happen yeah. and Terry Wogan just turns around and says they're laughing at you they're not yeah. laughing with you and it's a really it's he kind of quite distraught. an iconic it's quite an iconic piece of tv i think mm. at this point just well maybe we should get to his mental health problems later actually let me just quickly go through the go through the story so <laughs> david Icke then goes on to become over time so initially he's a, he's absolutely he's completely ridiculed by everybody he comes to this realization because of his own ridicule after this thing 
that basically look what a very small amount of people within the media can do to somebody look look how they can skewer the narrative about a person and make them from in uh, obviously he did it to himself to some extent but in his mind he was like i've gone from one of the most popular people on television to this complete mockery mm. and that sent him down a very long path and eventually what that path led to was that he believes that the world is being run by people who are secretly nine foot lizards <laughs> or hybrid li- hybrid lizard people yeah uh, this includes uh willie nelson yep uh the queen the queen yep. mother who's obviously well she's dead now so she's gone to lizard heaven i suppose Aww. um i think probably prince philip so he's off yeah. to lizard. Actually, yeah fence. he was <laughs> yeah i mean you know i think it was kind of breaking in, through his skin if anyone's in end. lizard hell <laughs> it's him um <laughs> This guy, Boxcar Willie. Yeah, Boxcar Willie. I don't even know who Boxcar Willie is, but I always like that he's one of them. There were some American, like, presidential people, I think he mentioned. Yeah, there was a bunch. And some of them were, some some of them were sort of historical, I think. I think Nixon probably was. Oh, yeah. Possibly. I think, oh, uh, definitely Clinton. Both Clinton. Oh, I feel like Reagan. Maybe Reagan. And I think also George Bush. And George Bush Sr. Oh, Sr. Yeah. One of them, but not the other. Oh, both of them. No, both of them. So he decided all these people were lizards. He since then, so we absolutely cannot go into the whole backstory of David Icke. He's since then written loads and loads of books. He still regularly gives these talks at generally sold out venues yeah. for the most part. Some of which last for eight to ten yeah, hours. Yeah, I was about to say, you think we talk, yeah. this man can talk about lizards for ten He's hours. He's got an awful lot to say. <laughs> now, like I say, we can't really go into David Icke's full thing. I think at some point we might, if I can ever get my head around, fully around what David Icke is trying to say. It might be worth us doing an episode about it, but that will be a long time in the future. But what the the film uh, about, is about, the Secret Orders of the World episode, is largely about that he goes to Canada to do a speaking tour and a bunch of uh, far-left people, some from anti-racist action and then some from some other like Canadian smaller yeah. um, things that I've not really heard of, including, I think, the candidate for the Green Party in mm-hmm. Vancouver, yeah. which is where he is. They think that when David Icke says giant lizards, he actually means Jewish people. Mm. And so therefore, they kind of try to get him taken off the air. They try to get all of his um, all of his sort of speaking commitments and things cancelled. And they do quite well at it. They, there's a, uh, he gets cancelled off of two radio stations, I think a couple of book signings, mm. and I think at least one TV thing. And yeah, the programme, which is, again, John Ronson at his gonzo best, really, because he really gets in with the sort of, with the anti-Ike committee, and he's also with David Ike all the time. So there's a there's one bit at the end where they plan the last thing that they want to do is throw a pie at him um, in a book signing. And John Ronson is literally with them when they're planning the pie, but then meets up with David Icke when he's going to the bookshop mm. to get the pie. And he sort of says, I feel really bad because I feel like I should probably tell well, David feel- Icke that he's going to get the <laughs> pie thrown at him. But yeah, and so the the main discussion really, so um, the Anti-Defamation League, which is a New York-based uh, char- not charity. That's right, yeah, uh, organisation. Organisation, yeah. which uh, basically tries to pick out anti-Semites and and work out what uh, a lot about like coded language and stuff of which within conspiracy theories there is a lot of coded language and it does generally tend to be aimed at Jews and John Ronson does point out that there's a lot of like Nazi propaganda about Jewish people from the from the Second World War Mm. um, where they are draw you know there's drawings where the the Jewish people are kind of represented by lizard lizard, lizardish looking people David Icke outright says that when he says 
Nine foot lizards, he means nine foot lizards, nine foot Well, because he's got this belief that an alien race of lizards once came down and interbreeded with humans, yeah. and then there's all these different categories that he can go into, so... But, of course, the ADL believe that when he says that, what he means is... Yeah. The people that they interbred with were the were Jewish yeah. people, you know. So, and it and it turned. What's really interesting about this episode? So, I mean, I think that's largely that's largely what it is. What's really interesting is who has the conspiracy against who, mm. and everybody is banging heads against each other in such a is in such a way that almost everybody's conspiracy theory towards each other is making the other one just get worse and worse yeah. and worse at their role, and kind of losing sight. I think of the actual matter of hand, at hand, which is, is this man going around Canada spewing racism yeah. or is it not? And one of the things that I found quite interesting uh, was that one of the main things that they use as a, an example of why David Icke is a racist is because the UK group Combat 18, who are at the time were, I think, probably the biggest racist organisation in the UK. I, I don't even know if they exist anymore. Mm. Probably, they probably call themselves Proud Boys now, I imagine. They went to one of his speaking engagements and wrote up a review of it in their, like, newspaper mm. or whatever. And in their newspaper, they said something like, he refers a lot to, like, international bankers, brackets, but of course we know what he means, salt beef sandwich anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, that, so, that, so Combat 18 believed that David Icke is a racist and therefore a racist organisation has gone and they've supported him and they've written him up in a positive way, right? So then... The ADL, the Jewish group, see that and say That's David Icke doing. is a racist. David Icke says, hang on a minute, I'm not a racist. I think that you, the ADL, sent Combat 18 oh, gosh, to see yeah. me and write me up so that I would look like a racist. And so, and so you just end up in this total mindfuck of all of these people. At every turn, everybody else thinks everybody else has a conspiracy against yeah. them. And it's quite interesting, because one of the really interesting things, again, that John Ronson points out, is that particularly at this time, because like I say, it's like 99, 2000, just after the World Trade Organization riots in Seattle, what he was pointing out is that actually, politically, all of these people are more or less saying the same things. They're just saying it in different ways. Mm. And there was a lot of talk about this with Trump as well. It was like a lot of the things that Trump was against, superficially because he doesn't believe in anything because he's a psychopath. Mm. But superficially, what he was saying he was against was really similar to what a lot of people in the extreme left are also against. But they were just using different words for it. And I feel like that was the really interesting thing about this David Icke episode, is that the racists were saying all the Jews are wrong. Mm. The Jews were saying David Icke saying all the Jews are wrong. David Icke's actually insane and believes that nine-foot lizards yeah, are all what's wrong. And it's it's really interesting. I don't know. I found that I just found that really interesting about it. I couldn't really get my head around it. I couldn't really come to any conclusions about it. What do you think about David Icke's mental health? I uh, so I, no matter what he says, and I appreciate he's a difficult man, and I don't believe a word of his lizard shit. Um, he does bring up some <laughs> interesting conversations around government control and stuff, and I do you know I don't agree with him at all on most of his things, but. I can't help but feel... And I don't mean it in a patronising way, but it's going to come across really patronising. I feel a little bit sorry for this man who one day has had some kind of breakdown where... Because mm. it's very classic in paranoid, delusional mental health issues to one day wake up and believe that you're the son of God. I mean, that yeah. does happen 
more often than not or that people are watching you or that, yeah. or that you know, people and are not what they see exactly and when you look at his life like he was going to be you know he wanted to be a footballer he suffers this trauma at 21 of not getting to be that his life changes um whether that leads to things i don't know but it's not uncommon for these what look like minor traumas but actually completely change your life can lead to your mental health doing a weird thing and uh, yeah, believes he's the son of God, has the opportunity to tell the world that, which many paranoid and unwell people don't have, gets to really yeah. show it off. I don't know, uses his thoughts to figure out a different way of the world working and goes with it. Yeah. And I just, when he's getting ridiculed and when he's really, he really believes what he's talking about. Yeah, I think like he's making a lot of money, so he's not, you know, there's also a, a very good financial benefit to being as unwell as he is. And he's, and he's, you know, successfully leading a life, so it's not you know, impeding on it too much. But he, I think he's just spouting genuine madness. Um, I, but with, with some really like, interesting thoughts, I think the guy who, um, believe, Alex Jones, no, not Alex Jones, yeah. is that his name? The radio presenter that um, pops up every now and then, he quotes him as saying, like, he's really like, forerunning the, the cause and really is saying all of the most amazing things. And then at the end, he discredits it by saying, and by the way, yeah, the, people, the people who are secretly ruling the world are 12-foot lizards. And he likens it to, it's like taking a turd in the punch bowl. Yeah. Like, the, but, pun, the punch is really good, everyone's going to drink it, and then you only take one shit in it, and no one wants it anymore. But he's another, he's got a conspiracy theory about David Icke. Oh, he thinks Christ. that he's doing this deliberately. Oh, he thinks he's so that he, he thinks that he's a conspiracy theorist, which is getting really close to the truth. Yeah. But David Icke has been sent in to become a more to, popular uh, version of him... But who at the end makes we'll everyone think he's mad yeah. to discredit it? So I mean, that's another interesting. This is another like conspiracy theorists having conspiracies against conspiracy theorists. Well, the problem with paranoid people is they can always rationalise anything, of course, yeah. and that's what's happening here. It's shitloads of paranoid people getting together and going, "Oh, I know how this has gone." They can't handle that there's an unknown. They can't handle that the world's not very nice. Yeah. So they make up a reason for why that is, and it's usually self-centered. It's usually they're not the problem. Everyone else is, but they're special. And lo yeah, and behold, Jesus, yeah. you've got yeah, you've got tons of these people screaming at each other the opposite views. But like you say often some you know coming from the same place but well, I mean, they can't they it, can't handle it having watched a little bit of david Icke talk and we, we've watched a bit we've I've, watched a couple watched, of hours of it. Quite a bit it and i mean i have to say i honestly would say if you just i don't know if you looked at him if you just gave him a a, a chance and listened to what he said i would say about 50 percent of it is like wise yeah like it's really well thought out really quite intelligent really good critique critique of like the modern world yeah and he uh, and and some you know sometimes it's it's definitely often a bit close to the mark as to what we're comfortable with but actually he tends to so i saw him being interviewed about like cancel culture the other yeah. day, and a lot of it came about as a based on the fact he was often talking about and i can't remember the exact phrase that he used but it was definitely specifically jews Okay. So he was talking about Jews and he was saying that they were trying to get him cancelled everywhere he goes and they've been doing it for years and years and years. Mm. And they've been saying he's a Holocaust denier and all of this sort of stuff. And he was talking about cancel culture in a way that had he not said a word about himself or his problem with a Jewish yeah. group, would have been I would have been like, fuck, this guy's what a wise man. What an incredible way of looking at the world. You've really you've really like put into words something that I think a lot of people feel, but can't, I haven't really got the words to, to say it. Yeah. 
But the interesting thing about David Icke is that he isn't a Holocaust denier. No. But the problem is, well, well. So he continuously make he continuously says he's not a Holocaust denier, and he complete he references the Holocaust. Yeah. Repeatedly. The problem is, is that, and this is something else that was talked about. Every time he says I'm not a Holocaust denier, <laughs> is that code? They think it's code for him saying I am a Holocaust denier. <laughs> and every time he acknowledges the Holocaust, they think it's a code for. And the the trouble is, in this fucked up world that he lives in, it, they could be right. Yeah. I mean, he might well be all of the oh things that they say. Is. So it's, it's it's crazy. Well, John Ronson puts that to him, doesn't he? Yeah. And then he's just he's just like, yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's my problem. But it's like it's also like you say, it's just it's so cyclical. It's such well, a problem. I, but it, well, no, that was, that's a really interesting bit. He says something like he says to him, you know, when you say that you've not got anything against the Jews, some people think that that's you, you saying say. that you've got a problem with the Jews. And he said. Well, who's mad in this? Who's mad yeah. now, me or you? Yeah. And it's like, actually, yeah, you've got a point there, yeah. in a way. But then, but, I don't know, are you an anti-Semite? But, then the, but then the problem is, you've started talking about lizards. And, yeah. and it's like, if, if, if the lizard thing is a code, then you're horrible. If it's not a code, then you're mad. Yeah. And then you are a madman. And then, here's, then what? Here's something else, just from a mental health perspective. Like yeah. One of the things that I kept thinking of is... like. Long st- a long-standing delusional disorder is quite rare. Like, I would say in my career as a mental health nurse, I only met probably four or five people, probably in that entire time, who had, like, a long-standing delusional disorder which was never going to go away. They absolutely believed in one certain thing. And it was, like yeah. you say, it was one of those things. Was, probably... I'm the son of God, or, or yeah. someone's watching me in my house, or the TV's talking to me, or whatever. Yeah, loads of people have those for short periods of time, and they get treated and they get better. Don't get me wrong, loads of people have yeah. delusional ideas. But what I'm saying is those people where really treatment is just out of the window. Like, yeah. They're absolutely... When you, whenever I... And I have, on night shifts, I remember... I can think of two people specifically, yeah. where I've had hours and hours and yeah. hours long conversations with them, where you just... You listen to them and you try and... Because re- I find it interesting and I used to yeah. just like listen to their stories more than anything else. But my experiences of dealing with those people is exactly my experience of listening to David Icke talk to somebody else. Yeah. It's like everything... Because those people were all really high-functioning... They were really capable. Most of them had, you know, they had jobs, they had good jobs, they could do all of this stuff. They just believed in this one thing that was obviously not true, but they could, they... And David Icke is exactly the same. He's like a really high-functioning person who just has this, like... One thing. This chunk of of madness, like, underneath it all. And I I found that really interesting. So, yeah, I do... I think that the lizard thing is is a bona fide mental health problem. Yeah. And I think that in some ways, although I am absolutely, I, you know, hold my hand up, I regularly find myself taking the piss out of David Icke, and I probably will in the in the future as well. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. And he does say some terrible things. And yeah. like, for example, I think I'm almost certain he is an anti-vaxxer. I know that his son was uh, out a lot on the anti-mask mm. uh, rallies and all this sort of stuff. So I mean, he's you know, he's he's an incredibly problematic person. But I think I feel I think I feel like he's a victim more than a more than a more than a perpetrator and that's exactly what i mean by i don't want to be patronizing but i feel mm. sorry for him because mm. i do think the second he starts talking about like the, the way in which they tell this story and the second it starts getting mentioned he just then one day realized he was the son of god i'm like oh my god this poor man yeah. has delusional disorder it's not that classic. delusional it's, disorder yeah. necessarily really exists but like dave said there are these people that uh, which we still you know that, that just come up every now and then that just have this long-standing d- delusions mm. that they're never going to go and you have to decide how much is going to let your life be well, ruined I by mean, it. But lo- what he's done, like the two people I've met that have had similar methods of thinking 
have let it completely take over their life and mm. have ended up getting into some violent disagreements with people about it. David Icke's no different, except he's made money out of it. But had his life gone just very slightly different, David Icke would have been on clozapine yep. at the age of 25, or yep. whatever he was when he first said this, would ne- and then would never... He would have just he would have been yeah. in and out of an institution for the rest of his life. Exactly. He definitely wouldn't have been able to write anything because he would have been on strong medication. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He... If he had just been in a... If he hadn't been a goalkeeper... This is the craziest thing. Yeah. If he hadn't been a goalkeeper, David Icke would have been a long-term yeah. mental health patient. Be in some kind of institution, maybe yeah. even now. It's a shame. Uh, and, he, and he would have been quite a charming mental health patient, I think. But then, in fairness, <laughs> flip that on its end. Like, this is how I feel about our... It's not about this now, but I feel about our patients, like the ones that have had those delusional disorders are no different from David Icke, and unfortunately they're locked up yeah. with their funny ideas, and no, David absolutely. Icke's making loads of money. But so. this, is, uh, this is a much bigger Yeah, this is huge. Because where does mental health... Yeah, where, should anyone be in prison? Anyway. Yeah! Um, <laughs> 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 I think uh, let's move on yeah. to three, shall we? So the third episode is about the Oklahoma bombing which is about an incident where timothy mcveigh you may have heard that name put a car bomb outside the alfred murrah building in oklahoma and killed about 168 people he did this because he believed a shadowy elite was secretly ruling the world and he thought that that building was part of the new world order's headquarters so that's why he did that I think mostly because the atf were the atf were there who we've mentioned already alcohol tobacco and firearms. firearms bureau he had a problem with them because he believed that the government who were clamping down on the second amendment which is your right to arm yourself he believed that that was a new world order trying to not let the public um, defend themselves against their government so he believed in guns for that reason he went to a lot of gun shows to talk about this which is where he met a lot of extremists and mm. militiamen which he later may have had something to do with um, this date is important because it's the two year anniversary of the Waco siege which is what Dave was talking about a minute ago it's also Patriots Day where a lot of people uh, militiamen but also countrymen everyone think the thinks way, different I, things I, about I could never Patriots work out what Day. it was but it sounds like it was more or less a racist holiday yeah it's <laughs> yeah it yeah. sounds like it's everyone who's proud to be American um, celebrates so again a lot of the people that he um, frequented uh, their company believe in that day it was also the execution day of a Mr Wayne Snell mm. who in the 80s plotted to do pretty much exactly what Timothy McVeigh did so all of these things are on the date that he chooses to bomb the building now and I think it's worth saying that that none of those things are a conspiracy no 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 <laughs> those so, are all just dates whether those yeah are, you know whether those are even related but I think they probably are just because he yeah those were important dates to him exactly well that's the thing so very quickly he was very angry about many things new world order this government um trying to control arms he hated what happened to Ruby Ridge and Waco he is a army man he was, he was in, in the, the army military, yes, he was in the military yeah. he is very disillusioned at this point he goes to waco and hands out leaflets about the new world order so he gets a lot of traction in the conspiracy theorist world mm. um, he goes to white supremacist well, world yeah. maybe uh, he, he, mm, I think we'll he get was to that a, yeah. He was a white supremacist, yeah so the reason i mean it's pretty cut and, sh- cut and dry timothy mcveigh did this we know he did it he gets sentenced to death for it eventually but the conspiracy comes from, he picked this building because the ATF are there. Now, the ATF would normally have had about 50 people in the building. And on this day, there's proof of maybe two, three? Well, there's proof of two, but then the, that proof is weird because they were in a lift. Well, they claim they were And someone says there was no one in that lift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's all a bit hidden. So the... 
basically, there should have been a lot of ATF people there, and there wasn't. Mm. So this conspiracy starts happening where they're like, why weren't the ATF there? And people start looking into it. The main bulk of this conspiracy, I'll really briefly go into it, uh, is twofold. The first part is there's this Aryan power group... Um, who are based in a place called Elohim City, and they it's kind a, of it's a town of white supremacists. Yeah, white they, supremacists that like have separated. Set up a, yeah, yeah. Very not similar, but they've separated from society in the same way that the Weaver family did at Ruby Ridge. Mm-hmm. And someone called Carol Howe, whose dad, she was quite she was um, a socialite, wasn't yeah, she? She was, yeah. and she had a rich dad. Some, may have been important somewhere. Ends up going out with one of the really obvious white supremacist there. I can't remember his name. Uh, well, Dennis no, so, Mahon. But he's not in Elohim City. He's his own white supremacist. Oh, yeah, he just has a, he has his own white power group. <laughs> um, and so they have this relationship. She gets interested in guns. She starts doing the dialer racist thing that they have, which is really awful. But that falls apart, and she becomes an ATF informant somehow. Mm-hmm. She then goes back into this group. They get into this Elohim City, which is the white supremacist place, and she starts reporting on them. And some of the reports she files directly to the ATF is that they have explosives and they're planning to use them against the government. And this all kind of comes out, and so people think, well, maybe there's a link here. Also, Timothy Vey is seen at this place. or Well, there's claims that he's well, seen he, near Elohim so City. They, I mean, this is a try. Everyone's lying, I think, about this. So they claim he's never been there, but he was caught on a... Speeding camera. camera like a mile up the road yeah. or something. And it's obviously in the middle of nowhere, so it seems unlikely he would have yeah. just been randomly driving past. So essentially, there's this link between him potentially being at this white supremacist uh, society and she's there informing to the ATF about it. So is there a way she could have overheard something being plotted? Um, and it seems like in this files that she does say that there is. The other thing is, he's seen at a strip club... <laughs> But uh, and this and this comes German. this comes from the strippers um, shouting in a there's a there's a beautiful video of some strippers all fighting in their back room and there's a video there because I mean the club owner gives some wonderful reasons oh, these, to why these girls oh, sometimes they're stealing they like to, yeah. they're doing this so I had to put a video in their changing room whatevs but he catches this fight. Um, and they think it's hilarious, so they watch the fight back again. But prior to the fight, they're saying, oh, there's this man out there bragging to me that on the 19th of April, he's going to be famous. Yeah. So they go, oh, I wonder who they were talking about. Well, it's, more, it's like, and, and it's a mysterious German. Oh, yeah. And a man who looks a bit like a military man yeah. sitting out there having a conversation. It's just <laughs> like, this, really? Is, it, like, is that a normal conversation? But they mention quite clearly on there, like, oh, he's telling me that on the 19th of April, he's going to be famous. How weird. Turns out this man is someone called Andreas Strassmeyer, who is the son of a German politician at the time. So again, so like he's a, wealthy. Quite a major, um, yeah. German politician at the time. I think he was like the shadow secretary or something. He oh, was, okay. He was something quite high something up. Something high up. Yeah, yeah. So strange that this German politician's son is there with Tim- Timothy McVeigh and they are potentially bragging about something that's going to happen on the 19th of April. Um, and this... I mean, they deny... Do they deny him being at Elohim City as so well? They, I mean, that's where... So, at this point... Because I feel like he actually is at Elohim City. I well, feel like there's proof of that. It no, there isn't actually proof of that. But they, they, they... Elohim City say that they think he phoned there once to try and talk to this German guy. That's it. But, I mean, they're definitely lying out of it. So, Elohim his City is another place where they say... And I think it sounds like there's some truth to this... All, like another Ruby Ridge almost happened. There was ATF agents surrounding them. Yes. And the guy reckoned he just told them to fuck off <laughs> and they went away. And they did, but yeah. Oh, you know, he's, he's a, I mean, obviously, he's... I mean, everybody in this place is absolute scumbags. One of the things that I absolutely love, and this is, 
classic about the way John Ronson seems to deal with these like insane people is that when he goes to Ella in him city, which is this really crazy place where he has to go to the gate and like yeah. press his buzz of until someone comes out. Oh, he has to honk his horn three times. Yeah. And then some like skinheads come out and like wave him in and they allow him into this bit. But when he arrives, uh, there's a a guy trying to sell them soap. And there's just all of these like... Well, no, they put on a river dance performance for him first. Sorry, that's right. And then the local soap salesman does a... And he's just Talk sort of like, you, do, you guys don't need, uh, you don't need conditioner here. You've got hard water here. So what you yeah. want to get is you want, this, this soap is 20 times better than the soap yeah. you're using right now. And it's just, and there's just, all and of that's these, a fact. Like, and, and there's just all of these like gnarly white supremacists okay. just watching mm-hmm. there, like trying to pick whether they're going to buy soap off this yeah. dude. It's a really weird scene. <laughs> it's but so it's, weird. Uh, it's worth seeing just for that, really. But yeah, so um, the long and short of the Andreas Strassmer thing is after this bombing, he's allowed to flee, even though there's some clear links and he's been cited with Timothy McVeigh. He's allowed to flee the country. He's never questioned. Mm. Um, Why is it that this man was allowed to get away when he should have been questioned? And there's some conspiracy about whether he was um, hidden away somehow. But John Ronson ends up catching up with him yeah and he basically says the reason for all that is because i had nothing to do with it and i I didn't do anything and i'm just Mm. i'm just an unusual man he's describing he sort of says i'm an unusual man that likes unusual things and so therefore i've got like caught up in all of this stuff but it's actually got nothing to do with me and i think one of the interesting things about this episode probably it's really just worth watching this one it's it's a really difficult one to talk about yeah really apart from that description there's not a great deal else to kind of get your teeth into yeah but the interesting thing about it is that the way it's made and this is one of the reasons why this program so clever is that it's kind of like a conspiracy theory itself unfurling yeah i think so he starts the program of saying oh there's a mysterious german there's a society girl and there's a there's like a video of her and she's got a big swastika tattoo on her arm yeah. and she's with this guy that's like wrapped in a i think a swastika flag as yeah well and, stuff. And, it, and he's like and then how do all of these people and this mysterious strip club in oklahoma yeah. or something, how do all of these things and then what happens is he picks those things apart and he goes through and what what the truth of it is is much simpler you know it's much more nuts and bolts he never yeah. really gets to the bottom of exactly what happened but it seems like what happened was a bunch of white supremacists probably met up with each other yeah and then one of them went and blew up a building and the question is really did, did the german about- guy was was the german guy or was other people like Oh, um, that Carol Howe. yeah were yeah. they were they actually no well the the thing about her is did she Tell, tell the them. ATF and was that why they weren't there but the yeah. thing about the, everybody else it was more like were they involved in it in some way Yeah. or was it just him acting alone him. and I think chances are it seems like practically speaking it was probably him acting alone but as to where he got all of the sort of influence from and stuff yeah. is, is, is possibly the question yeah well I guess then, and then the, the horrible thing about the conspiracy is if the ATF did know about it why did they only save themselves and allow 168 people to die well, in a car bomb that maybe they as, knew about particularly as a massive amount of those 168 day- people it was a daycare centre yeah. so that I think it was something like 50 50 like very small children and, and yeah under. so I mean, it's yeah, it's really fucked. And I, I was never really aware of it at the time. It was before yeah. I never sort of saw it on the news. And I feel like the Oklahoma bombing isn't like a famous bombing that you necessarily... I mean, maybe no, I'm wrong. No, I mean, I, know the, I thought I knew the name Timothy McVeigh, but maybe that's just because I've, this is the second time I've watched it. And maybe yeah. I didn't know it prior to that. Yeah. But, I mean, it is but a... it really is a, fucked that building. You know, that, that yeah, building... Yeah, it took the front... It, well, he I mean, said he picked it because he knew that it would... A, it, because of what it represents, but B, he knew that it would be a good photograph. 
Yeah. Like he said, when yeah. the front, like when that's blown up, that's going to be and a it good. Is super dramatic, and it is. Like, it's awful. Yeah. The whole front of the buildings comes off, and it's it's a good like twenty, thirty story high building, yeah. Yeah. huge, and the front's just gone. But yeah, I guess the long and short of it, it that's it, interesting is if the conspiracy theory is if they knew about it, yeah. it's pretty fucking dark that yeah. the government allowed it to happen. And of course, it, but, depending on what side of the fence you're yeah. on, you either 100% believe that they definitely must have known about it. Yeah. And it does seem very odd. It is like, why Why is a massive office that's supposed to be filled with ATF people, why is there nobody there yeah. on a like weekday And two people who claim to be there, it's proven that it was yeah. a lie. Because they said they're in an elevator, which... The um, they said they were in an elevator when the bomb went off, but the elevator they claimed they were in dropped fifteen floors and definitely would have cleared yeah, everyone in it. But then there's a really interesting thing there, whereby he's he's talking to the elevator expert or the technician, yeah. I think the technician of the building, and he was sort of saying that there definitely wasn't anybody in there. There definitely wasn't. And then he said, and then after he's, you have this conversation with this person who you think is just the elevator guy, yeah. John Ronson says something like. So before all of this happened, you weren't a conspiracy theorist at all, were you? And then he starts coming out with loads of New yeah. World Order stuff as well. <laughs> and so, like, loads of... Obviously, I suppose it makes sense, doesn't it, really? You get all caught up in it. I suppose if you're the lift engineer yeah. and suddenly you start hearing all of these conspiracy theories and you think, hang on a minute, actually, yeah. there couldn't have been anyone in that lift. Yeah, why then, would they say there was? Then you're going to go down the rabbit yeah. hole. And I think that's... Yeah, that's what all of these fucking... Well, it's a, I mean, it's not mentioned, but in the first episode, there's ex-police that are now leading... I think it's Police Against the New World Order is one of the groups yeah, that turns. Yeah, yeah up so it really does get everywhere uh, one yeah. other just what very quickly that guy dennis mahan yeah. who is the leader of some sort of white supremacist yeah, group i'm I mean, not really sure doesn't why. look like a leader he, of much he <laughs> is an absolute fucking snail prick <laughs> he is thick as shit and yeah. i mean again it's one of those things where there's this really in some if i describe this it's going to sound absolutely horrible but in the context of the way that it's filmed it is there's some humor in it he goes to a hotel room that he thinks Timothy McVeigh stayed in the night before the Oklahoma <gasps> yes! bomb. And he does the Heil Hitler sign Aww. and he starts saying, this is to you, patriot, Timothy McVeigh. Hail McVeigh. McVeigh. And he does it in this really weird, awkward way. And, the, and the, John Ronson just does this brilliant thing where he just films the whole thing of yeah. this man making a complete prick out of himself, doesn't make any comment about yeah. it, doesn't just say, let him do it. doesn't address it in any way, doesn't, you know, there's no need to say this guy's a racist idiot. Yeah. Because he just does it for himself, <laughs> like 100%. He's hiling in a motel car park. Oh, such a It's awful. But yeah, I mean, like I say, this is an episode, I would, you know, like I say, you should definitely watch this whole thing. But this episode is very much one that it's quite hard to, it's quite hard to talk about. It's just a really interesting kind yeah. of, it's almost like a whodunit. It's presented in a really interesting way. It really way. is that. Interesting. So I think that's the first three uh, episodes of this thing. Like I say, next uh, next time we're going to do the last two. One thing that we didn't really mention is that the kind of point, more so of the book, but to some extent the programme, is that John Ronson's idea is that if there really is a secret room, a lot of people say that all the people that um, rule the world could fit in, uh, around one large table yeah. and this sort of thing. And he says, well, the whole point of me doing this is that I'm going to find this room. Yeah. I'm going to go and find these secret rulers of the world. If they really exist, they must exist somewhere. Yeah, because everybody's got all of these conspiracy theories, but they don't seem to be able to say, well, this is who it is, or this yeah. is who it is. Well, I will say, on the last two episodes of this uh, of this programme, 
I think he finds. Yeah, he finds, he the finds room. something. He finds whether it's the people who are actually ruling the world, or whether <laughs> it's just the thing that represents what all these people will believe. Yeah. I mean, something is real. But we'll, um, we'll, but we'll, we'll get, get to all of that. Off. Yeah, we'll get to all of that next week. And what I will do in the YouTube playlist, I'll put all five episodes. Yeah. So watch if you it fancy first. it, over the next two weeks, maybe watch all five, and it's then it so might good. be a bit easier for us to talk about the last two because. We don't necessarily have to explain it in quite so much yeah. detail. And we can just we can just have our, our opinions. Have on. at it. So let's move on to some music. Uh, we're now going to play a song by a band called Las Rata Punks. They are from Peru, and this uh, song is from a, a cassette that came out at the end of last year called Ano de la Rata. Uh, Las Rata Punks are great. Uh, that cassette is really brilliant. They've sent us a song to play that's called Los Ladrones, um, which we're going to play now. So I hope you enjoy. This week's film for review is Fateful Findings from 2013. I've hacked into just about all the information I need. No more books! You were given a power. He's writing about government secrets. I knew I loved you when I was eight years old. I'm using it to make a real difference. I'm not ready for this. But you should be scared because it is the truth. Act now on your own outside of the corporate systems and these incompetent politicians. I'm going to get out of here, but you can't see what's about to happen. 
So this is the bit where I'd normally summarise the plot, <laughs> but it's incredibly hard to summarise what the plot to this film is, seeing as I don't believe it really has one. According so to I've, Wikipedia, well, there's a clear plot, but well, it's definitely not what happens in the film. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know who wrote it. I think what we're going to do is we're going to pick apart the plot and kind of add bits uh, along the way to what we really think happened because I don't believe the plot is what happened in the film but I think first it's probably int- uh, no one will have heard of this Neil Breen uh, unless you have and if you have then god why aren't we talking about it more often because he's a, he's a character but the only reason I'm aware of Neil Breen is because of Dave Dave somehow came across him so maybe it's better you explain maybe how you came across Neil Breen and a little bit about why he's an interesting character and then we'll discuss the film um <laughs> Do you remember how you came across yeah, him? Yeah, well, sort of. So I, I definitely know how I heard his name. And the way that I heard his name was that uh, I listened to a podcast called Junk Food Dinner, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I've been listening to it for years and years. It's a really brilliant uh, podcast. They literally just uh, review uh, crappy movies. So it's literally, we're more or less... We're mocking, we're not mocking them, we're ripping yeah. them off now. We're doing a much worse version Far of them, worse. Uh, than they do. And they did one of his films quite a long time ago, um, I couldn't put them in order. I think it might have been this one, but I'm not sure. They did one of his films quite a long time ago, and they could they didn't really know what to make of it either. Um, and then since then, they've done most of his films. But I but I went onto YouTube afterwards just to see what it was like because I couldn't their descript their description I couldn't fathom what it could possibly be like. So I watched a couple of scenes, and and I think that this guy, within certain circles has become quite famous as a person that makes bad movies. Mm. I don't think he is as famous as uh, that Tommy Wiseau bloke that did uh, The, the room. room. It's very in that vein, though, isn't well, it? Well, I think Well, his, so. his fame is very in that vein. His, his fame is totally in that vein. Yeah. He's exactly that person. But I will say, stylistically, and probably his story as well, is, I think, very different. Although yeah. I don't know the ins and outs of Tommy Wiseau's story. But this guy is a man in his 50s, yeah. I would think, if not maybe slightly older. <laughs> well, I mean, he's he's a man that may or may not have had some or lots or none plastic surgery. He's got a face that everything's very questionable. His face is very And he similar. could afford he's... it because he's had he's 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 a rich man or Well, rich well, man. he's so he he is someone who fell in love with well, this is how his story is he tells it. Yeah. He fell in love with films when he was very young and he always dreamed of making a film. Yeah. Uh, never had the ability or the means to do it. And this would have been much longer ago, and obviously there wouldn't have been like digital cameras. Yeah. It would have been much more difficult to, to become a filmmaker. So instead of making films, he became an architect, and I think got into real estate, and made quite a lot of money. And I'm fairly sure there's a house which is featured in all of his films. Yeah. And I'm pretty, I'm almost 100% certain that that's just his house. And so he obviously lives in a big house, so he's obviously got a decent amount of money. He obviously got to a certain age and just decided... I've always dreamed of making films. Fuck it. I'm just going to make a film. <laughs> God love him for it. Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah, I, I think that's a beautiful thing to, for, for a person, you know, slightly older to do, just completely out of the blue. Particularly if you have zero skills required to make any, any aspect of a film. And then you're also, not only are you going to direct and write and produce and star and do the music and do the editing and basically do everything. There's a brilliant bit at the end of this film where the credits come up and all of all, almost all of them are Neil Breen, apart from the other actors that are in it. 
Um, but then at the bottom, there's a couple of names that aren't Neil Breen, but they've got like a star next to them. And at the bottom of all the credits, it says where there's a star it doesn't, or something, or where there's it, a D. Where there's an N or a B, yeah. when there's any N or any B in the name. Yeah, it's actually Neil Breen, and it's not, it's not who. So he's just made up a load of people to. to so it says to Sandra, do, yeah, that's then actually then it's, him. Then it's Neil Breen, <laughs> uh, which I think is brilliant. He's obviously yeah. quite an eccentric. Yeah. He, like I say, he doesn't really have much skill, but he does have enough money. Like the films are. They're not. They're definitely not well made in any way. But he's obviously got some good ish equipment. Like the equipment's pro- pretty decent. I think he must have a decent like editing suite. He's mm. able to do some extremely basic sort of green screen and stuff like that. Yeah. So he's got the tiniest, tiniest iota of technical ability. But he definitely hasn't got a clue of what he's doing. Aww. And. But it didn't stop him. It didn't stop him at all. It didn't this stop is him. Uh, this is his third film, I think. This um, is the one that's got quite a cult following. I mean, he has a cult following. I think this but... was the point where. So I think he made one film, and it was, you know, a few people saw it, and it started to gather a little bit of like, Fashion. what the fuck sort yeah. of thing. And then I think his second film really had that. And then I think this was the one where like everyone was then kind of into Neil Green as this yeah. comedy character. Um, he takes himself extremely seriously. Yeah. We did see an interview with him a little while ago and uh, he's definitely not messing around. But I will say that's one of the things that is so baffling about his movies. How you could possibly make this if you weren't in on the joke, but then equally, if you watch him, there's no question at all that he's in on the joke. He's not. He's definitely no idea. Although I think, he, I think he's aware of why people are watching his films... Yeah. I think he's aware that he can make... I think he's probably a bit of a businessman and he's probably seen yeah. an avenue that he can take his films into where if people are laughing at them, then that's sort of fine because as long as they're coming. And, he, you know, he has made money from this. He is now a filmmaker. <laughs> he's yeah. not, he's not an architect films, anymore. It's he is a filmmaker. So, so he's living his dream in that respect. But he definitely... He de- he described, I think it was this film, or if not one of them, as being based on the Iliad. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, would be much well, much funnier to the listener if you'd seen this film, probably, because please. trust me, it's not based on anything. So, yeah. so the, yeah, I don't know, well, I think what we're going to do is, do you want to read the, do you want to yeah, go we'll, through the... We'll, quick, we'll quickly summarise the plot, as, as described on Wikipedia, and um, add bits along if we think. But basically, this film, it was not very clear what was going on throughout the entire film, um, but apparently there's a plot, and we, you know, we've learned about what the film is about from reading it I think maybe I it's think worth maybe just before we do the plot it might just be worth hearing a bit just, of his acting yeah so I mean I think it's worth just just to give you some sort of idea of what this thing looks like and you I, on YouTube there's loads of clips from this film and all of his films and it's definitely worth just watching a few of them just to try before and get committing try to and get film. an idea because it's hard to really put it into words. but this is an example of Neil Breen acting when he finds his best friend dead I can't believe you committed suicide. I cannot believe you committed suicide. How could you have done this? How could you have committed suicide? I can't help you out of this one, Jim. With all we've been through, I can't pull you out of this one. (laughs) (laughs) He does this wonderful... um style of storytelling which is in order to forward the story I'm going to have to tell you things so yeah. it's a bit like my f- oldest friend that I've always known yeah. or <laughs> I don't know things like no, that I think that's how that guy introduces himself yeah, he's like, so, uh, we don't really know this guy that he's killed but it turns out in the plot that he's like his best friend yeah but, apparently uh, but within the context of this film we just see him 
having an argument with his wife completely out of nowhere out of nowhere for no apparent reason but I'm pretty sure, yeah, when he first meets him, he does say something like, My Hello, oldest friend. I am your oldest, dearest friend. Yeah. Or something like yeah. that. And that's how everyone's introduced. Like, yeah. there's no subtlety. The only way you're going to find out who this person is is they are going to tell you <laughs> with a little bit of the backstory. So let's whiz through the plot as per um, Wikipedia. So it starts with eight-year-olds Dylan and Leah, Dylan being Neil Breen's character, discover a magical black stone in the woods. With Leah's family departure imminent, the two vow to always be friends, but, they'll, but they end up never seeing each other. <laughs> Again. Decades later, Dylan, now a successful novelist, that's not clear, uh, well, he keeps, he keeps getting these phone calls saying, yeah. I know that the deadline is coming, yeah. but I can't deal with you right now. There's also and that's what hints at him being a successful well, oh, this novelist. Is, well, this is a really important part of this film, is that what Neil Breen seems to really like to do is break laptops and throw books. books. And so he's, there's lots of scenes of him sat at his desk, like you say, either on the phone, sort of saying, oh, I can't do this now. I'm I'm looking into the government's secrets what? or something. Yeah, we'll get to it. Also, it's worth saying that the children at the start, which is supposed to be him and this girl, yeah. when they meet again as adults, he's about 55 and she's about 19. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not. It's, apparently they're eight-year-olds, but no. They uh, they miraculously change ages. So anyway, Dylan, now a successful novelist, is struck by a car and but miraculously survives the accident. And in hospital, he rapidly heals, which he credits to the power of a stone. This black stone. So he doesn't Not make clear. that clear. Not clear. He, he just this... wakes up and rips out his... Um... Well, rips out some rips lines. Off. He's rips got off. some. He's got some tubes <laughs> micropored to his wrist, which apparently is a is anyway. Bless and him. he's got a massive and, like Phantom of the Opera. Uh, yeah, uh, but the the oxygen mask is on top of yeah. his bandaging. <laughs> like it's really bad. Um, but anyway, this stone keeps like appearing in and out of his hand. It's yeah. never clear what that's about. Well, so when he gets hit by the car, someone gives it to him. Don't yeah, they? yeah. But apparently, but that's the stone he took out of the box when he was a kid. Because apparently, because him and this girl oh. find a box of treasure. Well, the box starts under as a, a mushroom. mushroom. Yeah, it's not clear. So anyway, this this apparently, according to this, he has lots of powers because of this stone. It is never clear. No. That is never clear. His powers are never even mentioned. Or yeah. Well, like, it's it, referred to. Yeah. So then he comes home and he tells his wife that he has not been working on a new book. But he's actually been hacking, using his hacking abilities, who knows, <laughs> to uncover, in quotes, the most secret government and corporate secrets, which he plans to publish. But he always refers to them. He never explains what they are. No. He always just refers to, I am too busy exposing the world's most secret <laughs> uh, government conspiracies and secrets. And when the world finds out, everything's going to change because I've been hacking. But you never find out what he's going on about. I don't think that Neil Breen understands what hacking is. Or what a government secret is. See, I think he might be a conspiracy. I think there might be a little bit. This well, he never unveils it, I so... Think I, I, there's something... I, th- I don't know if it's just because he talks like Trump that I always presume he must be, like, on that end of the spectrum as far yeah. as politics are concerned. I'm not really sure. So then his commitment to this project is tested by his wife's descent into drug addiction and eventual <laughs> overdose, which involves her tipping his pain pills down the toilet, but then her rescuing them from the toilet and taking them. It's awful. As well as the constant sexual attention paid to him by his best friend's Jim's underage stepdaughter. So this is a scene and we need, we need to address awful. this. So first of all, it's not constant. It's one scene, which, is, which happens like an hour and ten minutes. And out of nowhere. Film. And out of nowhere. Basically, he looks out of his... Again, he sat at his desk, 
throwing his laptops around and his books around. Oh, or a new, and throwing a plate of spinach. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a later scene. That one. So the, that one's on YouTube, and you should definitely oh. watch that. That will be in the uh, that will be in the playlist. But yeah. um, he just looks out of his window, and suddenly there's this girl who. Up to that point, she's like someone's daughter. So she's the best I, friend's daughter, but he's never really announced as the best but, friend. No, no, and you're not really sure anyway. Yeah. But I always, I thought up to that point she's probably thirteen, fourteen, yeah. something like that. But she is. Well, she oh, can't be, be because then she she takes her top off in the pool and starts swimming around, and Neil Breen's looking at her, and then she comes and tries to have a bubble bath. Yeah. Which she's disgusted about because she's desperately trying to get into his pants. Yeah. And but he does say he's his underage so, daughter. Oh, does he say under- Yeah, Jim's underage stepdaughter. Keeping in mind again, Neil Breen wrote this, yeah. <laughs> put himself in this part, yeah. and also cast the underage girl to be in her part. It's quite an important aspect, <laughs> I feel. So later, Jim, who is the stepdaughter's dad, so the mm-hmm. underage girl who's trying to come on to Neil Breen, himself is murdered by his wife for valuing taking care of the car over listening to her <laughs> issues. Distraught, she stages his death as a suicide, and Dylan cannot believe this. Thus, the bit of acting we heard earlier where he can't believe he committed suicide. Um, Plagued by disturbing dreams of a mystical book. Yeah? Uh, There is a mystical book. (laughs) There is, but in the film it's not really understood. There is no explanation of, A, what the book... It doesn't even look like a book. It looks like a big gold box. Yeah, it does. But apparently it's a book... And there's no there's no real explanation of this. I will say that that book and the scenes with the book, particularly at the beginning, do they're quite Lynchian. Yeah, they are. They're but like in a way, accident? if you remove the rest of the film yeah. and you just showed the really slow shots of like going up a corridor, and, and then the suddenly there's just this book on us yeah. for no reason at all, and there's no explanation as to what it is, and there's like a yeah. weird light on it. If it was just that, I'd be like, God, this guy's like got quite a style. This is quite impressive. Yeah. But then the problem is, is then it cuts to him going, you know, falling asleep. I can't his, do yeah. this book right now. I cannot believe you have committed suicide. You <laughs> yeah. have committed oh, suicide. No. Why did you commit suicide? It's, I can't get you out of this suicide. It's not like you to do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So he's played by dreams of this book, starts seeing a psychologist who says that actually it's repressed childhood memories. What? That's never clear either. Um, I mean, there's some, there's some, a real desperate attempt at filmatic language. Yeah. There, whereby he sees two psychologists, one of whom isn't really a psychologist. She's actually magic and she vanishes. And so the psych, I think he's probably anti-psychiatry actually, this guy, because the psychiatrist that he sees, that's it. One's a psychiatrist, one's a psychologist. The psychiatrist that he sees, he sits at the end of a really long table, and yeah. then that guy's at, uh, miles away at the other end exactly. of the table. So that's like, there's a really big divide, and he's always trying to get him to take pills. Whereas the psychologist, he sits almost touching her knee, yeah. like really close, yeah. and she's really caring and kind of spiritual. Ugh. So then I'm going to whiz through this bit because I don't believe a single bit of this next stuff is in the film. So very quickly, whilst he's recovering from the car accident earlier, he's attended to by a doctor who turns out to be Leah, who is the girl he met when he was eight. Except she's only aged half as much as he Yeah, she's 25 and he's 50, but who knows how that's worked. So um, starts a relationship with her and he tells her about his plans to expose these government secrets he's found. Except that's not really that clear. Yeah, and I don't yeah. remember that happening. I think he does say, but he just says the same. It's the same bit. Of then script. this, in, I'm just going to read this bit because I don't remember any of this happening. <laughs> so 
She learns about Dylan's plans to publish the expose and a mysterious assailant kidnaps Leah. Using psychic powers granted to him by the stone, Dylan rescues her by teleporting into the kidnapper's compound. Going to visit his psychologist one last time, Dylan learns that she is in fact a ghost and he must now face the council of spirits who guard the book that he has been seeing in his dreams. Okay. What? I remember well, no, the kidnap. I was going to say the kidnap happens, but it ha- it <laughs> the kidnap happens, but it's just basically some dude. Yeah. Tries to rob her of her handbag. Yeah. And then puts her in a and shed. then he finds the handbag and says, "Why is your handbag here?" Yeah. And rings her up and says, "I found your handbag and it's in the wrong place. Yeah. Why is your handbag here?" <laughs> and then suddenly he's in another place with a load of garages. Yes. And then the guy that kidnapped her for some reason is just sat outside one of the just garages. On the floor. So I think he beats him up sort of. It's not yeah, really a fight. It's not very good. Then he does magic his way through the door and he does save he her. He does save her. But I don't know the but rest then of it doesn't happen. the rest a council of spirits. There's no council. None of, spirits. of this happened. So anyway, r- right at the end, because that's the film done. Oh yeah, then it just. Then the last the, scene is just... him publishing this book, having a press conference in front of the National Archives building, which oh, is, is green screen. Oh, I thought yeah. that was like the Capitol building. Who knows? Or something, or the and then White he's House. divulging the most secret government and corporate secrets, except he never divulges them. He doesn't actually them. say what they are. And there's all these people reacting to it, and they commit mass suicide in front of him. But they don't, do they? They do it individually. Mm. But that's. But really... one at a time, they all start committing suicide. So there is a Wall Street broker, a corporate CEO. This is how they yeah. describe us: a senator, a congresswoman, yeah. a head of the bank. Yeah. That's what one of them says he is, and an insurance company. Yes, that's and- it. That's it. They all react by stating who they are and going, "I can't believe he's and, exposed our secrets." And then they kill, then themselves. They kill themselves. But the weirdest thing about that is that the same group of people initially, when he first, he's given this talk and he says, yeah. "I've hacked into these mainframes," and it keeps going to those people who are yeah. stood in a little group, just five of them or six, yeah. and they're giving him a round of applause and yeah, cheering. Yeah, they do actually. And then he goes back to him and then he says more of his things. They're giving him a round of applause, cheering. Then he starts saying them, and then it goes to just one of them and it says, "Hello, I am a." insurance company and then he shoots himself in the <laughs> yeah, head. Like, and then what? he goes back to him talking and then it's like hello I am head of the bank and then yeah. he kills himself and they one of them hangs themselves one of them shoots themselves one of them does one a, them... a bath um, cutting of wrists <laughs> oh, so it makes bad. no sense and then it ends yeah oh no sorry it doesn't end then because apparently then a sniper tries to kill him only for Dylan to kill him with his psychic powers oh is that and then, what that was fuck knows and then at the end, mission complete, Dylan and Leah go to the place where they found the stone in the woods. So that And they happen. put the stone back and it and turns into a mushroom. Happen. Oh, that does happen. Yeah. yeah. And that's the end so of the film. So that sniper bit is so weird. I because don't remember basically, any of So, that. well, what's happening is he's doing his talk and without any context or any reason, it goes to a bush and there's a man in the bush that looks exactly like him. And I'm pretty sure yeah. he's played by him with a gun. Yeah. Right. And then all, and then it goes back to him and he does his talk and then yeah. I think one of these other people kills themselves again. Yeah. And then it goes back to the guy with the gun who then just suddenly goes, oh, and yeah. then he's dead. Yeah. But no there's reason. no explanation as to why. Well, psychic powers, according to Wikipedia. Well, that is uh, I mean, I hope we've sold it to you. Some side bits. There's a lot of accidental nudity. He's getting up from <laughs> it's the... It's not accidental. No, I know. He gets up from his hospital bed. And I, I remember <laughs> saying to Dave, I was like, oh, this feels like... Because you don't... You can't... He's in one of those backless gowns, but it's done up. And you're like, no, oh, I feel like this would have been a part where he probably would have taken his And as you said it, his bum fell off. <laughs> as he said it, his gown falls apart. And there's a 50-year-old man's bum. Uh, he's um, got. And... He's a very strange man, so we haven't really covered this. Just, and I, I don't want to body shame him or anything, but I think it is an important part of this because he's, as a, he's not ashamed as, of himself. As a, yeah, but as a leading man in a movie, and as someone who's put himself in that role as a leading man in a movie, he's a very odd. 
he's got a very strange presence, which almost adds to the film in some ways. But he's got, but yeah, he's definitely he's happy to get naked. Oh, There's yeah. quite a lot of nudity, but you don't really see anything. I did think I saw a bit of Breen Peen. Oh yeah, we've got the Breen Peen side peen shower scene. <laughs> but also the other thing, which is, and this is where it, I think it's a look maybe a bit dark. Although I suppose all these people are uh, are actors, so they uh, it's part of the job in a way. But I think he kisses every girl. More Apart from the underage Apart girl the underage who wants to kiss girl. him. But And they're obviously, you know, 20 years old or whatever. But the weird thing about the kissing scenes are just how immeasurably awkward they are. Oh. Like, it looks like two ten-year-olds that are kind of trying to do the, go for their first kiss. And they, yeah. like, it's that thing where like, it's on the side of the mouth. Yeah. And they're kind of... like there's a, there's a couple of sex scenes in it, but the sex scenes <laughs> are just like these awkward like little pecks, like really quick, like... And then like... And then like both of them get their shoulders out, but except that you see a bit of breathing nipple. And oh, yeah. And you don't see lady nipple. And then they sort of kiss each other a few times, and then that's it. Oh, no, and then there's a scene of their feet and their clothes falling to oh, the floor, yeah, sorry, and you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. they must be doing the, it. That classic. Yeah. But there's, it's very strange. There's too many wonderful scenes to go through, I think. Watch the trailer, listen to him speak. I think you've got to watch this film to believe how ridiculous it is. We've watched clips of it on YouTube for some months now, building ourselves up to try and watch this film, and I've thought, I really don't know if I can ever sit through it. I'm now really glad we did. It's extraordinarily watchable, but it is, it is so mind-blowingly shit and makes no sense and it's hard it's hard to follow and nothing makes any sense but yet for some reason i can sit there and watch it i think it. it's very slow as well there is uh, sorry to it's hypnotic second, it's quite it, there is a, a lynchian uh, totally accidentally yeah but there is something you know like the first episode of the third season of, of uh twin peaks oh yeah when you spent two really hours of happens. not understanding what's going on if 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 Neil Breen had had the sense to not bother writing a script and yeah. had just kind of done the rest of it without yeah. attempting to like talk about government mainframes, yeah. and systems, and things, it it could have it could have probably been. There's a weird pace to it. There's everybody delivers their lines in a way that makes me think that they've never spoken the English language. But he must before. have asked them to do that. Of course, there was Cause... a script. There was a script. He, do you remember the, the interview that we said with him? He said, what people don't seem to realise is that I very carefully script my films. I do shooting schedules. And he, t- he uses all the words that he knows yeah, about film. Yeah, I think that's him letting us know that he's in on the joke. <laughs> well, but he doesn't appear to be in on the joke at all. At all. It's so hard to know. I didn't think he was until every single one of them speaks like him. And he must have asked them to do that. Because some of these people have been in other things. And must can't you wouldn't get away with speaking like that in any of the other yeah, films. Yeah, I, I, so I did a quick look on IMDb, and most, oh, most of these people, yeah, most of these people, are, I think, are extras by oh. day. But he obviously, you know, there was a, he obviously cast these people. He obviously got actors in. It does yeah. totally baffle my mind as to how something like this actually gets done. And I think that what it is is just that he had a load of money. Yeah, he bought a load of equipment. He's, but he's I, fucking I suppose done it. The thing that I kept thinking about is that if I. If we just got all of our mates, oh. right, none of whom have ever done it. Well, I don't know for a fact, but let's just say none of them have ever done any drama. None yeah. of them have ever written anything. No one's ever done anything. And no one's ever done anything. And you say, Sorry, <laughs> we're going ma- to make a film, right? Yeah. And you say, well, none of us know what we're doing. He said, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it's crap. Let's just make a film. We're just going to make a film. I feel we've like got you actually want to do this. All of the, a little bit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, we've got all of this equipment. Let's just go and do it. We couldn't 
Even though we have no idea what we're doing, I don't think it would be possible for us to make a film as badly made as this. You know you're setting us up for a fail, because if we ever try and do this, we're <laughs> never going to make fateful findings or but anything this, good as Well, that. no, we could But that's the thing, in a funny sort of way, as a result of that, it makes it good, because it's so batshit crazy. It's so eccentric. It's obviously like the whims of this man. Yeah. It's obviously the way that... I, th- I feel like one of the things that he's managed to do is he's kind of how he views the world, which is obviously in an extremely strange way, mm. he's managed to get, he's managed to capture it on film. Yeah. And there's something quite magical about that. But I feel like you almost need to be quite, you you either have to be really skillful to be able to do that. Yeah. And have like quite a big budget, or you just need to really fucking believe in it. And there is a part of me that feels a little bit like Neil Breen is just that. He's just, he just loves this type of film and he's made the per- what he thinks is the perfect film but does he actually think this is a perfect film I don't know I mean, he definitely says that he does <sighs> I mean to summarise please watch this film I we, didn't know <laughs> that I was going to enjoy it as much as I did I mean it's pretty shocking but for something that makes no sense is um, really flawed in almost every way 4.9 on IMDb yeah, so the cult the cult nerds are in there I trying to like I bet the room has probably got something similar or oh, probably yeah. even higher but please I... pass it your attention at least watch some clips of it on YouTube which we're going to put on our YouTube playlist yeah. um, see if that like strikes your fancy because <laughs> You I mean, it might put, it might put you off. <laughs> yeah, you don't. But no, I think if you watch just, the clip, it'll definitely put you off. I mean, it's you have just, to you have to sit down. Well, and no, because we we well we watched clips. That's what got us. And in. you desperately didn't want to watch this. No, I I've did. Been, I I've wanted been to watch it. This for the last no, three, I did want to watch episodes. it, but just knowing how hard it was to watch two minutes of him speak and seeing that it was an hour and forty minutes long, mm. I thought I don't know if I can do this. I think it's going to go on. They get longer too. Well, I'm glad we did. I I would recommend watching it just for the. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. It's complete nonsense. I don't think you have to watch this one either. You can watch any Breen oh, film. Oh, I think we'll probably do more. This one's fucking I've got, brilliant. I've got a real feeling that we we need to do yeah. more of these films. Because I actually, as much as it, yeah. Oh, I enjoyed it. I, I think I want to see the other ones and just see where he goes. I want to see it. I want to speak to him. The Q&A we saw, I want to rewatch that now I've seen a film. Because I think he's a funny. Dinner, don't you? Oh, I definitely want to Actually, I will say this. Dinner. He does look like he needs a roast dinner. I think he's definitely He's got sappy skin, isn't he? He's desperately trying to stay leading man skin I know which is not a very good idea and may query pumping something into his face or just has a melty face he's got very everything about him is strange nothing makes sense oh just one very quick pinpoint which I think in a way sums up Neil Breen is that his Wikipedia page which is quite in in depth and, and you know kind of covers his life a bit and most of his films have got them as well the picture on his Wikipedia page is him pulling like a really ugly face with his eyes shut oh gosh and it's like that's he can't have picked that. Someone's just picked that as his sort of, as his official picture. <laughs> and it kind of just, I don't know, there's something about that that I feel like is a metaphor for his entire life. Anyhow, what score do you want to give it? You need to give it a oh, score. Christ. It's a really hard um, one to give a score to. Probably shouldn't score it, it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, on the one but, hand. what do we give Rabbit Granny? It's better than that. Oh. Do you know what? Filmatically wise, it's not better than Rabbit <laughs> Granny's, but I enjoyed this far more. So... I'm going to score it probably like a minus two, but I'm going to suggest you watch it because it is worth watching. It, technically, it can't be scored. Joy-wise, I'm going to score it probably a two or three for joy. <laughs> technically, it has to be a minus number. But overall, my takeaway from it is I think everyone should at least try and watch it. I think it's probably one of the most interesting films we've watched so far. <laughs> I don't know if you can call it interesting. It's definitely interesting. Yeah. It blew my mind in a way that a really shit film shouldn't. 
Yeah. And I, and I can't. I, I can barely put into words why that is, and I can't really explain it. But I uh, I definitely think it's worth watching. Mm. I am gonna give Fateful Findings seven out of ten. What the fuck? Which I think is probably more than I've given any other film. On yeah. This. Just because I think you just want people to watch it. I want to give it. I think you're right. Technically, technically wise, I don't think you can score it. Yeah. From the perspective of whether it's a good film, well made. You, it, it, it's not even a film. It's yeah. barely even a film. <laughs> yeah. But whatever it is, if it's you really just look nice. at it as a, as a thing, a piece yeah. of art. That a man who already has a very successful career said, fuck that sexful, successful career. That sexful career? That, well, this is a much more sexful I'm career. I'm not having successful. Apparently. I'm now going to have this sexful <laughs> career gonna, where I make films. Gonna, I am a filmmaker. I'm going to employ young women to re- kiss me really awkwardly. Yeah. And, take, and take the, just get their shoulders out. He is Danzig's idol, probably. Well, like, it's, I've it's, done, I've done say, a career yeah. and now fuck it, I'm making films. Except this one's a bit more in on the joke. Slightly. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think Danzig's more in on the joke than this guy. I don't know. He was quite upset when people laughed so, at his film. But I th- well, uh, so, yeah, may, uh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Breen, you're a hero. Come round for a roast dinner. Sorry for what I said about your face. I think he's... I I don't think he'd be a nice person to meet in real life, but I still really want to meet him. Oh, yeah, definitely. Life. He's he's very much like Danzig in that yeah, respect. I want them both round. Yeah. At different times. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that would be a shit dinner party. <laughs> right, we're going to uh, play an old song now. Uh, this is from an old straight edge hardcore band from Manchester. They're called Area Effect. They released only one like mini CD, like this six track CD, which came out on Ruction Records. Ruction Records are still going strong now. Um, I love this band. Uh, I saw them in the late nineties. They're fucking banging. Uh, the song that I'm going to play um, today is called Mainstream, and so here it is: Area Effect with Mainstream. <laughs> of breakfast punks podcast thanks for listening as always please give us a little follow on instagram or um check out our youtube channel go and subscribe to that because we're going to put um loads of content relating to this episode up on there as always please give us some feedback we love to hear some feedback and know what yeah, you do want what you don't want and just generally if you've got any thoughts on neil breen and we want to hear them because he should be in your life He's we amazing. really need some breen chat 
I, I would really like to talk some, to more I need people. To about someone Brady. else to watch this film. So well, can, Dave can... tried to explain it to his band at band <laughs> practice and just didn't know where to start. Well, I so came we'd in like hard. people to. I came. I was like, "Have you seen Neil Breen?" And they were all like, "No." And I was like, "Oh, mate." Um, and then I just how do I, where, how I do I explain I this where to go. enigma? So I just so... sent them some YouTube <laughs> clips. <laughs> um, and also, yeah, just tell us anything say hello and uh, social media is being really shit at the moment and not really uh, sharing anybody's posts to anybody um, unless you take a selfie so if anybody wants to help us out the best thing that you can do is to share us with your friends on facebook or instagram and hopefully more people will see it and just help us spread the word a little bit that would be really appreciated yeah we like people hearing our nonsense but also sharing lovely musics from people so we're going to end with a music from a person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> from no, a people. From a people. <laughs> so we're going to end with a song from a band called No Relief. And the song is called In My Grave. They're a pretty new band from the South Coast down here. They formed either in lockdown or just before it and haven't actually gotten to play a gig yet. But they are getting some traction online. They've got a couple of gigs too, I think. Yeah, up, but, they've got yeah. some gigs uh, booked up. This song is from their demo from 2020. We met Ethan from No Relief. He was, he works at Goodman's Barber, which you mentioned earlier. We met him while we were chatting in uh, Cloth and Wax. Mm-hmm. Really nice guy. And you should definitely go and give really a listen to this band. band. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're really good. So this is No Relief, In My Grave. And it's a goodbye from me. That is a goodbye from me. Okay. Also. <laughs> I know. Uh, watch Breen. Um, watch Breen. Don't let the nine foot lizards take yeah. over... The government. <laughs> <laughs> they already have, Dave. They already have. Whoops. Um, so yeah, enough from us. This is No Relief in My Grave and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
Or I'm a little cunt. Did you <laughs> <laughs> All right, my little cunts. <laughs> <laughs> my mum's going to have a listen to this. 